This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field team. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I have a question, Commander Cody, to start this show out. Did what I just say before the start of the show go on the uh, on the air? It did not, so you're good. Not that I said anything wrong. It's a good. It's, I a, would, it's a legitimate question, as my phone right now is blowing up. I've gotten like eight texts about A Rod and J Lo have broken off their engagement, and for some reason, people feel they need to reach out to me. So my question to Cody before we came on the air. Has anybody ever said anything nice about A-Rod? Like, I can't remember anybody saying, like, great guy, or he's he's a guy you want to go have a beer with, or, you know, I mean, I've never, I've never heard anybody say, really, in my professional life, and people that were around him, that ever said anything nice about him. Not every calls him a bad guy, but it's just like, you know, he's you hear the word fake. You hear a lot. You hear a lot of different things about Alex Rodriguez, who is now single and back on the market. It's a fantastic question because I never really thought about it. Um, as I told you, apparently their relationship, if, it, if it's ending and, you know, if A-Rod needs relationship advice, you know, it's about splitting something off and breaking off an engagement or divorce. I'm, I'm the guy to go to on this program because I've I've lived it. But with A Rod, I, I, <laughs> uh, and, and I'm getting married again. So I mean, who knows better than me? Um, but you're, with, like, you're like J Lo. Yeah. Well, with A Rod, it you're the J Lo of A's cast. Um, I wish I had the money and and the looks and well, everything J Lo has, I don't have except for uh, bad relationship experiences, I guess. But with A Rod, I've said something nice about him when we saw him in at the uh, wild card game when he was in the in the A's clubhouse with. Jessica Mendoza and uh, the new voice of the Angels, Matty V. Uh, I said, I can't believe A Rod's in here. It was like the coolest moment of my life seeing A Rod because it's the guy I grew up watching. But other than that, yeah, you're right. I haven't really heard anyone ever say anything good about him. Um, must have been a loosey goosey relationship because it's it, it didn't. If they would have better question is if they would have bought the Mets, is his relationship still going That's on? That's where I was gonna go. <laughs> we always got to tie it back to baseball somehow. Can you imagine? The mess that Major League Baseball would have on its hands 
if it would allow them and their group to buy the Mets. You know, that's why when things go down in baseball or the NFL or when they allow you into the club, they really got to be sure they're getting the right people. Because when you have horrible ownership, I've forgotten the guy's name. Who was the guy, the Dodger guy, the parking lot guy, the Dodgers? Uh, is, that, is that Frank McCourt? Frank McCourt, correct. And then John Moore's in San Diego was a mess. He went through a messy divorce, had to sell the team. I mean, you really, you really got to make sure you're allowing the right people into the club. I know there's always people out there, hey, that you know, get famous people because you think, oh, they're famous. Eh, sometimes that's not that good of an idea. This is what we got cooking today. The general manager of your Oakland Athletics, David Forrest, will be here at 4.30. Roxy Bernstein, A's broadcaster, ESPN broadcaster, and Pac-12 broadcaster will be here at 5 o'clock. We are going to be looking at the Philadelphia Phillies, the fightings today, and our old buddy Kevin Franzen, the kid from Bellarmine, will be here at 5.30, San Jose State grad. Dallas Braden will be here at 6, and Burt Smith, A's pitcher, at 6.30. You know, if there was one guy that you look at and you feel bad for, Burt Smith was throwing the ball real well. Got his first career save, and we were all like, wow. Bob Melvin was starting to trust him. You know, it's a quick 60-game season, and then the elbow-forearm issue hits, and his season was done. But he was throwing the ball well, and he feels good, and... We talked to him earlier today, so we'll 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 let you know. Uh, he he's ready to be a big part of this bullpen, Cody. You're right. I I loved watching him last year. He pitched with confidence. He had two wins. You know, I, I'm not a big win guy, but he had two wins in a sixty in a sixty game season. Two wins is a lot. When the leading guy on the Pirates had three wins last or four wins last year, three or four. Bert Smith had two on the best team in the American League West, uh, and he had the one career save. He was pitching really well in San Francisco the year prior too. He had an ERA under two and a half in, oh, I think it was only 10 games, but still in 10 games for the Giants, he started to figure it out and he brought it over to Oakland and he figured it out more. Remember, he was the first trade that the uh, A's and Giants have made and oh, we have to go really far back. Oh, wow. Like uh, Ernest Riles. Yeah, it was a long, long time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> so Bert Smith is the guy that links the A's and Giants together now when that trade happened. I'm pretty sure it was a trade. I, 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 I don't, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that was, was the first trade. I mean, it happened. Going prior to the season, so when that happened, I was like, okay. I you know I, I looked him up. I, saw, I remember pitching, watching a pitch of the Giants, and I liked what he had. He's thirty years old now. He has good stuff, um, and I, I want to see how he progresses this year because after we talked to him, he's he you know he's exciting looking, excited, looking forward to pitching in twenty twenty one for this ace bullpen that for some reason people are saying that is not as good as last year. And I, I mean, I get where you're coming from because you lost Liam and. Soria, but the guys that they added, I mean, it's not like they added a bunch of nobodies. They added Rosenthal and, and Sergio Romo, just, you know, just to name a few guys, Adam Kalerik, another guy who had an ear under one last year, not 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 two, under one, pitching for the Dodgers. So uh, I don't see where the uh, lost faith in the A's bullpen is, but Burt Smith's going to be a big part of it, and hopefully he can be uh, stay healthy this season. On February 15, 2020, the Giants traded Burt Smith to the Oakland Athletics in exchange for cash, for cash considerations. This trade was the first swap 
involving a major league player between the Bay Area rivals since December 4th, 1990, when the Athletics acquired Ernest Riles from the Giants for Darren Lewis and minor league starting pitcher Pedro Pena. Wow. 1990 was the last time these two teams actually did a deal. I would wonder whether we're talking Yankees-Mets, White Sox-Cubs, Dodgers-Angels, or Giants-A's. Who's made the most trades with an in-market team and who's made the least? I have no clue. We would have to research that. But just, they haven't tra- they, they they haven't done a deal since 1990. Are you kidding me? Well, I I know one for sure. The Cubs have made a, a trade more recently with the White Sox. Remember, they traded Jose. The White Sox sent Jose Quintana to the to the Cubs, and they got back Eloy Jimenez, who was one of the you know the best players on the White Sox roster now. So that trade happened more recently. Yankees Mets. I'd have to really look at that one. Um, because that one's fascinating. I mean, do people really pay attention to the Dodgers and Angels trades? I mean, honestly. Well, uh, <laughs> remember they just traded Jock Peterson to the <laughs> yeah. Angels, and then that got revoked. <laughs> I mean, but it's just it's it's dangerous to do business with your crosstown rival because if you lose that trade, you're going to lose trades. I mean, you're dealing with human beings here. There's going to be times where you hit on trades and there's going to be times where you whiff. But if you whiff with a crosstown rival and whoever you gave away goes nuts, people are going to be throwing it back at you like you wouldn't believe. So ideally, if I'm going to lose the trade, I'd rather lose the trade with like I don't know, the Tampa Bay Rays than I would the San Francisco Giants. I mean, can you imagine from an A standpoint, if they would have traded Josh Donaldson to the Giants, I mean, they already got hammered for trading him to the Blue Jays. Can you imagine how worse it would have been if it would have been the Giants and you're watching them every night over in San Francisco become an MVP? It's easier when he's out in Toronto. But if he was only 13 miles away at Oracle Park, would have been AT&T Park at the time. I mean, just think about that, Cody. That 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 would have been thrown in front office's face all the time. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, as you were talking, I was looking up trying to find the answer to that question about the the multi, you know the cross town and cross bay rivals. And I found an article from 2020. And we're t- it's just talking about trades overall. Do you know who the A's have traded with the most? They've they're the 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 list of the article is MLB's most prolific prolific trade partners. There's a team that the A's have traded uh, traded with 27 times. It leads the most in baseball. Do you know who it is though? Who's I will take a guess. I'm going to say the Astros. No, it's a team that you were just talking about with Josh Donaldson, the Toronto Blue Jays. 27 trades that the A's have made. This now this article is from. Um, this is going back to 2020, so April 2020. So I don't know. I don't think anything's happened since then. And then fourth on the list is A's Royals have made 19 trades. So th- there you go with uh, to some of the A's big trade partners. So you're not going to see the Giants on there, but 
I just thought it was fascinating that the A's and Blue Jays have made 27 trades, uh, essentially, I think it's since Billy Bean took over. There's been trades with the Dodgers, trades with the Astros. Yeah, it's a relationship business. And you end up establishing relationships, and we'll talk to David Forrest about that, coming up at 4.30. You just have better relationships with certain front office people. And you're able, because of those relationships, get deals done. Because ideally what you want to do is you want to do a deal where everybody feels like they won the deal. Everybody gets their beak wet. You know, you, you, if you come away as someone, remember in Moneyball, they reading the book, like Kenny Williams got fleeced. Like, if you get fleeced by somebody, and that's your own fault, but you won't do another deal with that guy. So it's not smart to really get over on somebody. You want them to, you want them to like the deal. You want to like the deal, and then you can keep doing business together. And that's essentially what it is. Yeah, I'm sure the I'm sure the White Sox thought they were getting a great deal when they traded James Shields, uh, traded for James Shields and gave up Fernando Tatis Jr. I mean, at the time they probably thought we're getting <laughs> we're getting J- big game James. We're getting some you know a guy that's going to be okay. And now you got the guy that everyone thinks is the number one player in baseball right now, in Fernando Tatis Jr. Can you imagine him playing shortstop for the White Sox with Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, Robert, but we call him Robert on this program. Um, Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, that White Sox team would be unbelievable if they still had him. But they traded him for James Shields, so the story's, you know, the story's over there. But you're right; you don't want to fleece the, the team you, you know, tr- you trade with because then that, it gives you a bad relation. You know, the, it tarnishes the relationship. And you know, GMs move on and stuff. But uh, the one constant with the A's trading in the last twenty plus years has been Billy Bean has always been there. And that list I was looking at, it's just like A's Padres, A's Cubs, A's Blue Jays. A, it's like literally the list is just filled with different trade partners the A's have had over the years. Well, the A's got the win today over the San Diego Padres 5-4. to four. The A's are 6-5 and five in spring training. Padres dropped drop to 5-7. and A uh, couple highlights here for me. Jed Lowry getting in the box and taking swings. I mean, that, that, that to me is – he could be a real key to – 2021 Elvis getting out there I mean these key veterans if this is you're up the middle if it's going to be Elvis and it's going to be Lowry get them going keep them healthy by the way Matt Matt Olson is having a great spring he's hitting 438 how about Sergio Romo was the opener today Cody that had to excite you uh, it was like a last-second change because it was supposed to rain, so Dalton Jeffries was supposed to start the game, but nope. Bob Melvin says we're going to put the uh, the the OG uh, the OG opener in uh, Sergio Romo, and uh, you know gave up the home run to Fernando Tatis Jr., but you know that was it. And and then you know obviously Petit came in and Jeffries came in and gave up a three-run homer to C.J. Abrams, who is the Padres' top prospect, who people are saying he could be as good as Fernando Tatis Jr. Good Lord, if that's the case with the Padres, if he's going to be that good. But Abrams hit a home run. But uh, I was very excited to see Rome. When I heard Rome, I woke up and I was reading Twitter, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like it's like Jeffrey's not starting. Sergio Rome, like, the opener's back, baby. We're bringing it back probably just one time. I don't think Sergio Rome is going to start any games as the opener this year. But, hey, you never it know. Happened. Yeah, it could happen. 
And really the big news today in baseball. And you're going to have the people who like it, and you're going to have the people who don't. But they're going to start trying to change rules in the minor leagues to see what really works. MLB teams had the fewest hits per game since 1968. Fewest stolen bases since 1972. They're going to start trying stuff out. And they're going to try and and get things going other than the three true outcomes. They're going to make the bases bigger. They want to get rid of shifting. They want a pitcher to only be able to throw over to first base so many times. Which then that increases my desire to steal second, steal third, especially if I know he can't throw over. Didn't we experience that in a wild card game with John Lester? Johnny Lester? When the Kansas City Royals knew, they knew he can't throw over. I would have taunted him. I would have been sitting over there yelling at him because, you know, he can't throw over. He's got the yips. And they just kept stealing bag after bag after bag. I don't even know how many people remember, but Lester used to show up early and they tried everything to get him to be able to throw over to first base without the media or anybody seeing it. And it's just, he had the yips. You know, whether it's Chuck Knobloch or Steve Sachs or Mackie Sasser behind the plate, you get it in your head that you can't throw. I mean, I've seen John Lester field a ball and throw his glove with the ball in it to the first baseman. I mean, and now, I mean, think about it. If, if, if a runner knows, you're not going to really be thrown over that much. If, if you're, what, how many are they saying two per base runner? It's two per plate appearance is what they're trying to do is what the rule is. And I, I like it because someone has said that I want to see more stolen bases because here's a stat too. When Major League Baseball implemented the rule in the Atlantic League in the second half of 2019, and remember we talked to the president of the Atlantic League when they were going through a lot of this stuff. They saw the stolen base attempts jump 70% with a leap in success rate as well. The league leader in stolen bases in 2019, do you have any idea who it was? No clue. It was Malik Smith of the Seattle Mariners with 46. So that was a, that was a leader in stolen bases that year. 2020, it was uh, Alberto Mondesi of the Pod- or Padres, the Royals with 24. So I want to see that happen. But I thought the one that would intrigue you, would intrigue you the most, the Lowe Southwest League, you know, formerly known as the Florida State League, will use the ABS, the Automated Ball Strike System at most of its parts. Yes. As baseball continues to yes. explore the future f- feasibility of sending in robots in the oh, big leagues. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to where one day I turn on a game and I'll actually know what the strike zone is. Now we'll know what the strike zone is. Because day to day, you got no idea. Oh, he's a high ball umpire. He's a low ball umpire. A strike should be a strike and a ball should be a ball. It's not that hard. This technology that they're using now, they've been using in tennis for years. How many times have you watched a baseball game where a ball goes right down the middle and the umpire calls it a ball? And for some reason, oh, the human element. Why? Why do you want the human element? 
This is going to be real simple. Pitcher's going to get the ball. He's going to throw it towards home plate, and it will track it, and it's going to tell you if it's a strike or a ball. You're, you're still going to have an umpire behind home plate. He's still going to have to do his job because he's going to be there for, obviously, plays at the plate. But if the technology ever screws up, he's got to be there to say, no, that actually was a strike or a ball. Let, let Just be honest. You got these older gentlemen standing behind home plate now, judging balls and strikes with guys throwing it 100-plus miles an hour. It's hard. The average velocity in Major League Baseball has gone up so much. We talk about all these guys coming out of the bullpen throwing 97, 98, 101, 102. It's tough to decipher whether this is a strike or not. Well, with the technology, we won't have that problem. I thought you, Commander, would be more bummed about the shifting rule. Don't get me started. Don't get me started with the shift. Because if we're going to take out the shift, and this is just me, because I know that the shifting has gone up you know, tremendously. Two years ago, oh. we were seeing shifting like 14% of the time. I think last year it went up to as, 30, as high as 35%. In 60 games, 35%. Uh, in, three, in, the three of the, uh, last, in the last three major league seasons, we've seen more strikeouts than hits. That's never happened in the 147 years previously. So we're, we're seeing a lot of different things. But when it comes to the excitement of the game and banning the shift, I, if we want to get more action, I think I, I can live with it. I think if you want to limit the number of shifts, that's fine. But getting rid of it completely, for me, it's almost like telling an NFL team you can't run the, a 4-3 defense because we want to see only three pass rushers on the defensive line, not four. Or the box and one defense in the NBA. I think it's just whoa, it's, whoa, whoa, whoa! They outlawed for years zone defense in the NBA, and they made everybody play man to man, and people got called for illegal defense. Well, they changed the rules in hockey. All sports make make changes. So, don't be this get off my lawn. <laughs> It's, let's let's be honest. Shifting does not make the game more fun to watch. I don't disagree with that. I, and I, shifting, it, 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 it's what do you do as a player when they have your tendencies and they know where you hit the ball, but they're shifting. So yeah, you know what I got to do? I got to hit the ball in the air. But when you hit the ball in the air, you're going to strike out more. You may hit some more homers. But there's no question the three true outcomes have gotten so much. I mean, it's 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 like we've lost athleticism. And it's just a game where everybody just gets up there and grips it and rips it. And after a while, let's be honest, it's boring. And these games are three and a half hours, four hours. Boring. I got some uh, quotes from Alex Cora, who said, who obviously suspended last year, said watching some of these games, they were unwatchable. So what do you want to do? You want to make the you want to make the game more exciting? You want to make a game that's more profitable? 
You want to make a game where more fans want to be involved and go to games and watch on television and listen to A's cast? Or you just want to, it's like Bryson DeChambeau in golf now where he's hitting at 370. But it's a boring, it's just, it's just, I get up there and swing as hard as I can. I mean, this is, this, the game is understanding there's a problem. They need to make it more appealing to everybody, especially the younger viewers. Put it this way. Are you going to say the game's more successful right now with all the let's just hit a home run and let's shift? No. I mean, rate, 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 ratings will tell you all you need to know. You know, I was reading interesting quotes earlier from uh, Francisco Lindor, who was, wait for it, the one, sixth most shifted batter in 2020. Matt Olson was second, only behind only Kyle Seeger of the Seattle Mariners. The A's shifted the most time or the least amount of times in, in the American League, and they won the American League West. So you don't always have to shift to win where, you know, when the Rays started doing this and the Pirates started doing this, when they started getting good, and these teams were shifting a ton. Like, the team that led baseball in shifts last year in 2020 were the Los Angeles Dodgers led baseball in shifts. Who led the American League? Seattle missed the playoffs. Texas missed the playoffs. Minnesota and Toronto made the playoffs. Baltimore missed the playoffs. So I guess if you don't have the right defensive people behind you, it doesn't work. But what something Lindor said that was interesting, and he's he was a big guy against the shift, he said the shift has to, has to be cut down. Let me do me. Let me make the crazy play. Let me be like, oh, he's going to pull the ball. I can't be on that side of the base. So as the pitch goes, I run on the other side of the plate, pow, and make the play. So that's something that Francisco Lindor, one of the faces of baseball, is saying about the shift, and he's also one of the six most – shifted batters in baseball, uh, as we saw last year in 2020. That was an article with Tom Verducci in FSI, where those quotes are from. We have a lot to get into with the GM of your Oakland Athletics, David Force, next, right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. I'm seeing on Twitter... Pictures of fans in the stands. And I think it means so much to the organization, every organization. And these players, they're so jacked to see people after what they went through last year, where you just came in in an empty ballpark with a bunch of cardboard cutouts. You guys supply the adrenaline for these guys. I mean, when you come into a game and people are screaming and or yelling at you, I mean, you, you th- this is how these guys get fired up. I mean, you think, can you imagine a, a 162 games without fans? It's basically like practice. It would be so tough to get up night after night after night without the fans. It's tough to play 162 games with fans. It's a long season. It's it's day after day after day. But I think, Cody, we have heard from every player how much it means to them to have the fans back, and I can't wait to ask David Forrest about that. I mean, it's been great to see them, I mean, for sure, because 
We didn't see it at all last year. I mean, the cardboard cutouts are cool. I mean, we got this. Well, I never got to see myself at the Coliseum, but I was there, and you were there. But it, it, having the just you're having that um, that rush of the the crowd noise, and I I think closers are gonna get it more than most because they feed off that adrenaline. Like Liam Hendricks, that's something, and like guys like closers, they're gonna feed off that adrenaline with the fans in the stands. David, great to have you back on A's Cast Live. How are you down in the Valley of the Sun? Chris, we were a little chilly and wet today, but uh, for the most part, we're doing just fine. You know, we were just talking about it. Fans back in the stands. You know, as you've made your career in this great game, just for you, what does it mean to see the fans back? It's been fun, man. It's 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 felt actually really normal with uh, even with only you know, just under 2,000 fans that we're putting in the stands here. Uh, it's, you know, you, you hear sort of the buzz of the crowd. You see when foul balls go up. Looks like, uh, you know, looks like a normal crowd going after foul balls. It's It's been a lot of fun, and I know the guys on the field are really enjoying it. Oh, I'm, I mean, the adrenaline these guys are getting from seeing the fans, and, and really for the first time, David, hearing players talk about how much they truly uh, appreciate the fans. It's been very refreshing. Oh, for sure. There's just, you know, th- there was no way to know uh, what it was going to be like last year without fans. And, and, you know, I've said a number of times, we, we, we really understood very quickly uh, on opening night what it was going to be like to play in front of no one. And, and it was it wasn't anything that any of those guys had ever experienced. And, uh, and, and to see it return this spring and to think about, you know, 10, 11,000 people maybe in the Coliseum is, uh, you know, it's what everybody's used to. It's exciting. Yeah. Cannot wait. You know, one thing that we wanted to talk to you about, cause uh, we got into this on our last show is that you've got a minor league system where these guys haven't played games in 18 months and probably won't start playing games uh, for the 20th month. Just how tough has that been for you guys from a standpoint of a front office, and, and you don't even get to see your minor league guys? Yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's, it's made for a tough offseason uh, in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, we have, a, we have a small group of players who were either at the alt site last year or instructional league who were able – to to get some game activity and and thank goodness for that um, but we do have a huge a huge group of players uh, who hasn't seen game activity basically since the end of instructional league in 2019 and those guys you know have been on their own a lot uh, a lot of them living in places where they didn't have access to you know to working out or, or certainly you know being with other guys and, and seeing live at bats or facing hitters whatever the case may be so um, you know, I know Ed Sprague and his group has done a great job of reaching out to those guys, making sure they have a sense of where everybody's at. But until we get everybody here in April for minor league camp and really get a sense of, you know, who's where, uh, I think we're, we're kind of guessing as to what the effects of that layoff are going to be. I feel so bad for him, David. I mean, you're in the prime of your life. You're trying to make it as a professional baseball player and, and you you just, it's been taken away from you. You can't get on the field. I just, I feel horrible for these guys. Yeah. And, and, and I know a lot of them have done everything they possibly can. So we're, look, we're, we're hoping that, you know, the minor league season looks as normal as possible. Obviously there's, you know, there's still some, uh, some bumps in the road for that to happen. But, um, but yeah, we're, we're just all 
excited to get back out there and play. So far, how's spring going for you, the front office, evaluating the team? Well, I always say the most important part of spring is just everybody stay healthy. The ball goes up. I see someone, you know, running towards the wall to make a catch, and I just say, don't get hurt. Don't get hurt. Um, so as far as that's concerned, we're in pretty good shape. Um, you know, we, we have been healthy, knock on wood. Um, someone asked me today what our record was, and I, I said it hadn't even occurred to me to check because uh, because wins and losses are, are so secondary down here. Um, but it, but it's been good. You know, Ryan Christensen, our bench coach, has done an incredible job scheduling this thing every day, keeping groups separate. You've got different arrival times for players. You've got separate stretch times for players with all the protocols. Um, but Rhino's really been on top of it. And uh, I know everybody's felt like they've gotten a lot of work done. So it's been good. It's been a good camp. Yeah. And still the number one priority for you and everybody else is, is keeping everyone safe. Yeah, without a doubt. That, that is never far from our minds. And everybody's, you know, everybody's walking around the, the facility with their masks on. We're eating lunch outdoors uh, per the protocols. And like I said, we're, we're on different fields. It's, I mean, we, we're hosting the entire camp over at the minor league complex at Fitch Park, which is something we never do. Uh, we're always over at the stadium. But in this case, there's four locker rooms. There's more fields. There's more rooms spread out. So it just made sense to keep everybody over there. So this is, this is certainly a spring unlike any other. What was it like down the stretch before spring training where you knew you needed to go get some arms and it was just kind of a flurry of signings, but your bullpen went from looking maybe a little thin to looking like a major strength? <laughs> well, I appreciate that. It, that was the most fun stretch of the offseason, without a doubt. I mean, that's what that's what we in the front office like to do. You know, we like to go out and make whatever moves we can, make this team better. And, uh, you know, and for a lot of the offseason, we were on hold, but um, but there's a pretty solid three week stretch there from you know end of January, early February, where we felt like we accomplished a lot in uh, in a short period of time. So we had a, we had a good time doing it. You know, Jed Lowry, always have loved having him on the program, and whenever he's been an A, he's been an extra base hit machine. What do you think you're going to be able to get out of Jed Lowry? Man, I'll tell you, Chris, Jed looks like Jed, which is which is really exciting. I mean, we took it slow with him, obviously, you know, coming off the last two years. I think our medical staff wanted to make sure uh, that he he actually, you know, wasn't as good a shape as it looked like he was and took a lot of early ABs and simulated games, just, you know, a running program. But, uh, you know, he's been out there the last couple of days. He made two really nice plays coming in off balls today and throwing across his body. Um, you know, the ball makes that nice sound coming off his bat and he looks like Jed Lowry. So that's pretty exciting for everybody. Yeah, we're pulling for him because he's such a good guy and he's been a, a, a terrific A. You know, one thing we wanted to get uh, into with with you is this virtual reality. It sounds fascinating. I Like I was thinking about it from like a, a golf standpoint. If I could play Pebble Beach it, with virtual reality and then actually go play it, what I mean, just I, I'm thinking about at bats. Uh, yeah. Tell us how it started, and 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 have you used it? And what's it like? Well, this is something we we've been talking about for years, and, and to be honest, there's a number of teams that that have had it and are a little bit ahead of us, and we've just been looking for the right product to get in. But uh, you know, Haley Alvarez in our uh, our baseball ops department has sort of spearheaded this and met with a number of companies, and um, you know, it's really. It, 
it's pretty basic. I mean, we, you've got a headset. We've got, uh, you know, the video Major League pitchers downloaded along with their TrackMan data and the pitch information. And you're really, you know, you all you got to do is put a headset on and you're basically standing in the box against these guys. And uh, I've looked at it. I mean, you throw Garrett Cole up there and you watch that fastball go by you. Um, and I know, <laughs> yeah, particularly me, it's going by yeah. me. Trust me. Um, <laughs> But I know uh, I know I got a lot of uh, run the other day. Deakman mentioned that Chappie and Ole got a chance to watch Plutko throw before that game against the Indians the other day. But that's exactly what the hope is: is that you you get to feel like you're in the box, seeing seeing the pitchers before you actually go up there, and it just it gives you a little edge uh, to make you more comfortable. So so far so good. It's definitely something we're going to take into the season with us and, and see how it goes. I got to think this is that new wave we've been talking about because there, there's all the data, there's all the video, but now it's the neuroscience. It's it, it's training the brain. That that's really kind of where the game's going, right? That's where that, that's the one. That's like the next frontier. You're right. Yeah, and and you know as far as the, the data goes, a lot of us have access to the same stuff, and you know we we do all of our evaluating players. Uh, you know, sitting up in the office, but the guys on the field, the player development folks, they, they need to have the tools to make guys better and to see, you know, see actual results on the field. And, and virtual reality is just one of those tools that hopefully we, we get a chance to use with them. Well, Matt Olson right out of the gate and Matt Chapman are, are having great springs. You have to be thrilled about that. For sure. For sure. Ole swung the bat great. Uh, yeah, obviously with the three homers and uh, and and count you know countless more in, in simulated games. I've seen him hit a few more on the backfields too. So now Matt feels great, and then uh, and Chappie looks like himself. I, I know he worked hard in the off season to to rehab that hip. You saw the play he made at third base his first time out there to know that he was pretty much all the way back. But uh, he had a screamer today that basically went through Tatis at shortstop. I think it was 111 miles per hour off the bat. But uh, everything, everything he swings at right now, he's hitting hard, which is a good sign. Did you see the article about the the rules that are going to be changed in the minor leagues? I did. I'm very familiar with them. Uh, so what 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 did you think? You like it? Dislike <laughs> it? I, look, I, I'm all for trying stuff. I think you know. I think some of them uh, will be received better than others. It's you know, I, I feel for the, the minor league guys jumping between levels when they get sent up or sent down. They're going to have to figure out which level they're at, if they're allowed to step off or not, if they're, you know, if the bases are bigger or if they're allowed to play on the the outfield grass. But um, I think there are some important things that we can look at and, and you know, try to implement in the major league games. So uh, I'm all for trying them out in the minor leagues. Where, where I, I know the A's didn't shift the most. You were, you were one of the uh, lowest shifting teams in baseball last year. Where, where w- would you like to see the shift ban? I, I would not personally. Um, I, I think, you know, I think there are other reasons that we're, uh, you know, we're seeing a decrease in offensive productivity. But, um, you know, I, Look, it's it, it's an even playing field. If it happens for us, it happens for everybody else. So we'll see where that one in particular goes. But right now, I think we do a good job with the shift, and I think our our hitters at times are smart enough to to make their adjustments. So I think that's part of the game, just you know making adjustments back and forth. 
let's end on this. All the players we've talked to, it's just there's growing confidence. You know, after winning 97 games, two straight years, winning the division last year, beating the White Sox, do you just get the sense that this core, this team, it's their time? I think they think so. Yeah, I, I think they feel really good. I mean, this is, you know, it's a core group that's been together, and you, you look at the the guys who were added, you know, in that sort of flurry we talked about, you know, Romo, Rosenthal, Moreland, Andrus, these are veteran guys who've been on winning teams. There's there's some World Series rings in there. There's a lot of playoff competition in that group of guys that's coming in. So I think these guys believe they have the mix now. Um, to really compete and to go further than they did last year, which is which has certainly been their goal. Well, we, we've seen it in AA's history, you know. The teams that won three straight in the 70s, they had to go to the playoffs a couple times and lose, and that's where you learn how to win. Yeah, you're right. you you got to get that experience, and, and certainly you know, the guys who've been here the last three years have it. And like I said, a lot of the guys we brought in from the outside uh, have been there as well. So uh, I'm excited to watch it go forward. Well, I got to tell you, we're excited here on A's Cast Live because we think this team's going to be really good and this is going to be a fun season. Be well, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. We'll see you in Oakland before you know it. The general manager of your Oakland Athletics, David Forrest. I do. As of right now, I think this could be the best team the last four years. I think this could be the best team all around. The depth in pitching is amazing. And if Jed's Jed and another year being better of Olsen, Chapman, Loriano, Canna, you know, I just, this lineup's no day at the beach to pitch to. You got a ton of starters. Your bullpen is stacked. I mean, they, they had they had some holes, and then they quickly filled them all. <laughs> So it's like, I, I mean, you got multiple guys who can DH. Bringing in Mitch Moreland means you're not as right-hand dominant in the lineup when you're facing right-handed pitching. You know your team better than anybody else. C.J. Nikowski from the Texas Rangers. I remember he came down. I don't know. What year was this? 2019, he came down to visit with us where yeah. we have our little our, our little uh, show set up on the field. And he was the one that said it best. He goes, listen, yeah, I know the Rangers in and out. You know the A's in and out. You know, they, we know our teams better than anybody else. And that's why it upsets you. When you read national guys and you see out-of-market people with their perspective of the ball club, and you go, well, that's just wrong. You know, it's tough if you're not here every day to know what's going on. And it's tough to cover all 30 teams, trust me. Whether it's NFL, NBA, NHL, it's not easy to cover every team and to know about every single team. I mean, Cody, that's just a reality. No, it's true, and it's a good point that CJ made that you know your team, you know you know your team better than most people do, and and I get I get when people get upset about the national writers, maybe not knowing everything about the A's, and you know there's that thing that I I call uh, the East Coast bias, and what's not everyone knows what it is, 
but it's true. But um, the the one thing I that I'm 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 taking away from any, everything David Force said is uh he doesn't want the shift banned. That's all. That's I, I I forgot everything he said before and after. He just said he doesn't want to see the shift go away. So I that's all that mattered to me. He agreed with me. Finally, someone backs me. I mean, I got all the AJ Puck supporters now, but now the shifting is now. I'm shift, that's what I'm, no pun intending, intended, shifting my focus to. When Marcus Simeon is out in short right field getting ground balls, is that really excitement for the game? Manny Machado's running down the right field line, and he's the third baseman? That's my favorite one. I'm sorry. Just watching him catch that ball against the wall in right field in Texas. It's just like, he's a third baseman. What's he doing playing in the overshift in, in right field? Yeah, and how do you score that? Like, I would have to score that the way I keep score, F5. Because technically, he's the third baseman, and he was in foul territory. So that's an F5, but he caught it basically almost at the wall in right field. You see how ridiculous that is? I'd have to go back, and I'm, now you're going to have me look. Um, I'm going to go back and see if I can find how they how they scored that play. Um, he, he's a he's it's got to be a five. He's a, a he's a third baseman. I think he was in foul territory, right? Yeah, it was against the wall in foul territory, uh, and I know it was in Texas. I'm going to look and see what they. Yeah. By the way, for some fans out there, you need to stop it with Matt Vasgersian. Our buddy, Matty V, got the TV job for the Angels. And I've seen out there where people go, how can you be an A's fan? And Folks, this is our career. And he just probably got a nice paycheck. And I'm happy for him. Do I like the Angels? No, I can't stand the Angels. But this is, this is his livelihood. And you're not going to not take a television job in Major League Baseball because you grew up an A's fan? Really? I've seen people say, I, I can't like Matt Vaskersian. No, we're still going to bring him on the program. We're still going to love him. Matt Vaskersian is a loyal A's fan. He's going to call games. Do you remember he used to call games for the Padres? Did you have a problem when he was the TV guy for the Padres back in the day? Didn't he do Brewers, too? Yeah, he did the Brewers. Were, do you think, were people mad when he was calling XFL games? I mean, I cannot believe people were going after our guy. Yeah, it's, it's a, it was a bit weird. And he's working with Gooby. He's working with one of, our, one of the best friends of our show, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Oh, love Mark Gubazar. I mean, you can tell – I mean, I, I know where I am in my career and what, what I do. But let's face it. I hate the Yankees, but if the Yankees came at me with a multi-million dollar contract, you think I'm going to turn it down? No. I'm happy for Matt. That's a, that's a big job. Now, is he keeping Sunday Night Baseball? That's what I thought. I mean, that's what I think he's going to be doing. He's going to be doing Sunday Night Baseball. So why would you not? It's Sunday Night Baseball. I mean, it's not like you're, you're giving up calling uh, – Triple A game somewhere to go take over for the Angels. I mean, he he's. I mean, I, why would you not want to be on the national broadcast every Sunday night with A Rod and no J Lo? Yeah, single A Rod. Oh, it could be different now. 
Ooh. We could be seeing a whole new side of A-Rod. A-Rod back on the road. Um, John Miller did it for years. John Miller did it when he was the play-by-play guy for the Orioles and the Giants. You can easily make it happen. And plus, you know, Matt is not going to be giving up his gig at MLB Network. That'd be crazy. The good thing for us means he's coming to town more. Because, you know, he's been in New Jersey. It's been, you know, we, we don't get him as much as we, we, we would like to. But now if he's going to be coming to Oakland constantly, that's friend of the program. Matt Vaskersian is going to be on. We're dialed with the Angels. We got him, Gooby. Um, Mark Langston, the great San Jose State Spartan. We got uh, Mike Iago, the bench coach, former A's third base coach. Uh, we're still trying to build that relationship with Joe Madden. Uh, well, may- maybe we'll get there someday. Um, but yeah, we got those are the guys we're, we we focus on. We got a lot of people with the Angels. It's move over, move over Astros. I think the uh, I think the team that take that's taking over where we have more friends than anywhere is, is whoa, Anaheim. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Even though we hate the Astros, we've got good friends with the Astros. Blummer and Sparksy, and we we've talked to Robert Ford. They're play by play for Radio Bunch. And I'm trying to think who else is with Houston that we know. Well, Josh Reddick's gone. Um, I think most of the guys, most of the players that we've known, I think they're they're all gone. Oh no, wait, our good friend, the opener, Ryan Stanick, is now there. Is he really? Yeah, he signed like a one year deal for like one million dollars or whatever. So now, when we play the Astros, we can try to get him, and we can we'll always ask for Dusty Baker. But you know, I don't think we'll get Dusty. But it, there's no hurt in trying every time that we play them. Well, I mean. Who knows when we're going to be able to actually talk to people? You know, the way people would come to our set in Oakland down the left field line. Who knows when we're going to be able to do that? Who knows when we're going to be able just to have a regular interview, put a headset on somebody? We have no idea when that's going to happen. The game has changed from a media standpoint. I think there is no question with that. And as Sandy Alderson said on the program, would that have been Monday? Was he on Monday? Yeah, he was on Monday with us. As he said on the program, the Zoom world is not going away. That's probably here to stay. Which might mean from here on out, <laughs> when we're talking to players, it may be, it may be here what we do with Google Meets. You know, I mean, we we've talked about this. We've noticed the excitement in players when and their their whole demeanor and everything changes when you're on video with them. Like we saw with Matt Olson and Mark Hanna and Chris Bassett. Like they're completely different than when you're talking to them on the phone, because that way they're engaging with you because you're getting to see them face well, almost face to face. It's video to video, but still, you're actually getting to see someone. You're actually getting to see the people you're used to talking to instead of it just being over the phone, where you have no idea where or you're talking to someone from, you know, you could be on the phone, you could be on the phone with a player and you're, you know, you're in your bedroom laying in your bed, talking to them and they, they could be in the clubhouse. Like they don't know, but with video, they you know what they're doing. They get to see you. So that, that human interaction, that little bit of normalcy is, is kind of back. And that's why I like it. Whenever we get to video with people, like we're supposed to video a Franny in, in Dallas tonight. Like I love that. They love you know, that option of wanting to do that with us. And Chris Rose wanted to do it with us the other day. It's just, well, technical issues on his uh, side with Google meets. So, 
that's a that's a user error, but that's okay. You know, those things happen. Yeah, I mean, you, you see it all the time. It's it's gotten kind of comical how people struggle if you're going to like. Uh, be in a meeting and they can't talk and everybody's going saying, Hey, you're muted. Unmute yourself. <laughs> I mean, you see that kind of stuff all the time. I, I spoke to, I spoke to um, the sports manager club at my college yesterday at 8am. Uh, so it was 11 o'clock there and I'm sitting there and I'm, they have me like front and center on the zoom call. And I'm literally just staring at all these kids and I see the, the, the professor's mouth moving, but I don't hear anything. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Then I looked and I was like, Oh, I should probably turn the volume on my computer. And I came on. I was like, "I'm so sorry. I do this for a living, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to turn the volume of my computer." Apparently, <laughs> I know it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. But I'll tell you what. I think within X amount of years, we will not see shifting anymore. They're going to figure out a way to make every two guys on the left side, two guys on the right side. And I think Lindor's right. I think Lindor's right from the standpoint of athleticism, making the great plays as an athlete. We we kind of we kind of lose that with the shifts. Well, it, it, it's true. And Major League Baseball said they, they also didn't roll out. We didn't really get a chance to talk, mention this, but they haven't rolled out the stipulation in the second half of the season that could require two infielders on each side of second base, which is what you just mentioned. But we'll see if that actually happens. But I saw a number of like I think it was Jason Stark had it the number batting average from by left-handed hitters you know every couple of years in 2020 the left-handed bat left-handed batters hit 236 2015 256 2009 275 2006 272 so each year obviously the shift gets more prevalent in the game but 236 for left-handed batters last year that includes you know Matt Olson and some of the Kyle Seager the guys who were shifted the most in baseball. Uh, you need to see that number boost up again. Is that why Matt and Olsen hit 195 last year? No, there's other stuff that goes into that. But I think limiting the number of shifts is fine. Banning the shift altogether, I am not okay with that. Cause well, I, how do you limit it? Like, what are you going to say? You only do it once an inning? Or? Well, I mean, you got how many mile visits do you get per game? I don't know, something like that. And someone tracks how many times you shift in the infield. I don't know. You either got to allow it or you got to get rid of it. Yeah. Then no. what you're going to do is you're just, you know, I, I can only use it one, you know, let's say once an inning. Well, guess what? Matt Olson is always going to be the guy they do it to. So you're going to penalize certain players. Well, okay. So do you do you realize that with that batting average, what you just said, how lack of entertainment that is from two two? What was the highest? Uh, it was two seventy five for. This is from left handed hitters. The left handed hitters hit two seventy five in two thousand nine. And then six years later, they hit 256. And then five years later in 2020, it was down to 236. Look how much entertainment has just gone there from 275 to 236. Now, here's the thing that, that gets that intrigues me a little bit. And it's uh, talking about if you're going to limit the number of guys shifting you to in the infield and how many guys are inside the base, who says that uh, teams aren't going to start? Um, well, you actually you can't do it then. I was, I was going to say about using the four-man outfield. But now you can't do that. Because if you need that, if they're gonna have the role where you have two guys on each side of the base, it can't happen. But if you don't have that role, be telling they can't shift. Who says the teams are gonna start using the four man outfield even more? Because I think I have it. I have the number right here. The number of four man outfields used last year. The Rays did it twenty six times. The next highest, the Pirates did it six. So the Rays were the innovations with this, the four man outfield, which essentially is for left handed hitters. A Joey Gallo, a Matt Olson, because you know they're gonna they're extremely pull happy. So you know you want to have that extra guy out there. 
I mean, are they are they going to make the rule spikes on the dirt? That's what, essentially what it, it sounds like. They want spikes on the dirt, which that makes sense. I mean, if you're going to ban it all all together, then that's how you do it. And I, now I'm going down a whole a whole rabbit hole with the four man outfields. Matt Olson had four hits with the four man outfield uh, on him tw- in twelve at bats. So clearly, Matt Olson doesn't care about the four man outfield. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't. Coming up next, our buddy Roxy Bernstein will join us right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Now you want an athlete. Ramon Laureano's an athlete. He just doesn't do good things on a baseball field. He does great things on a baseball field. I mean, it's entertaining to go watch him play center field on a daily basis. What were the Houston? <laughs> I mean, seriously. See, that's one. Like, you, you make a trade. <laughs> Hello, Roger. Hi, Uncle Tony. How are you? Where are you? In the airport? I am in Las Vegas currently at the Mandalay Bay Arena and Event Center, getting ready to watch the semifinals of the Big West Conference. Because, as you know, my brother in law, my sister's husband, is the head coach of the UC Santa Barbara Gauchos, and they're about to play. And then I'm going to be on a 925 flight home after to call a game from my house tomorrow that's being played here in Las Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Pandemic Basketball 2021. When are we going to get you guys back to games? Well, I was at games the last couple of days. I did... Uh, the Pac-12 tournament the last couple of days at T-Mobile Arena in Vegas, the home of the Vegas Golden Knights, but where they have the Pac-12 tournament. So I called games there Wednesday and Thursday. And then, uh, so we were in person for that at least. But And then I went and watched the WAC, because I'm doing the WAC championship tomorrow night. And I haven't done a WAC game all year, Chris. I mean, I haven't seen that conference. I don't know what's going on per se. So I had to try to figure out, hey, what am I doing here with this conference and do my homework? So, um, yeah, so that's what I did last night. And that's all I've seen in Vegas. I've seen my hotel room. I've grabbed takeout, and I've been in a basketball gym, and it's the only places I've been. Yeah, man, hopefully soon we can get you guys back out at the ballparks because, you know, it's just not only do the fans bring the energy for the players, I, I think you can attest. It's also for, for the broadcasters. No question. No question. We want you know, normalcy. I think we've talked about this before where, you know, calling games from home last year. And then when I was at the Coliseum filling in either for Ken or Vince and, and doing a game on the radio for the A's, I had to retrain myself to watch a baseball game being played in front of me because I was so used to calling it off the screen and, and being off the monitor and, I'm, I had to realize, oh, yeah, that's right. The game's being played right down there in front of me. So why don't I look at the field for a change? Yeah, that's that's that, that, that that's so bizarre. Uh, we're covering the Philadelphia Phillies today. 
12 blown saves in 2020, tied for the most in the NL. And you go, 12. Remember, we only played 60 games. 12? Can you imagine how demoralizing that would have been to be around Phillies baseball, especially late in games? Think about that. That's 20% of the season right there. That uh, One-fifth of your games that you could not hold the lead in. And you know, a lot was expected from the Phillies last year. And you make, you know, you got Bryce Harper and all the firepower offensively and, and Joe Girardi managing. And as you know, my affinity for Joe Girardi, when I got to work closely with him, when I was with the Marlins and he was managing the Marlins back in 2006, when he was the national league manager of the year. So I, I have the utmost respect for him as a manager and I had to just drive him nuts that they couldn't hold leads. And I, I felt for him and look, there, I think they're going to be just fine. And that's something that they needed to address. But Joe and Joe Girardi, look, he's won a world series. He gets it. And I don't think he's putting too much stock into the fact that of what happened last year, I think he's going to try to turn the page and put it behind him, to be honest with you, the way that I know Joe and the way he handles it. Yeah. He's a great guy, isn't he? He's fantastic. He, he really is. And, and the 2006 season was really hard on him and, and that organization with the Marlins because there was a real power struggle. There was a, kind of a wrestling match, to be honest with you, between uh, baseball ops and the business side and then the field manager and the owner. It became a real contentious, ugly situation. But when you got Joe away from the situation, he is a family-driven guy who's just a genuine, great person. And I remember when I, when I left the Marlins, you know, and I couldn't come to an agreement about the situation because they wanted me to move to Miami full time and I wouldn't do it. My home was in the Bay Area. And, you know, they knew that when they hired me. And then fast forward three years later, when we're talking an extension, the demand was that I move to South Florida and I didn't necessarily want to do it uh, because of my commitments and with family stuff in the Bay Area. And so, you know, we kind of agreed to, to part ways and I was happy to come back to the Bay Area full time. The first person that actually called me right after that news was Joe Girardi, just to check in on me. Hey, you good? And, and I was real, that, that shows you the, the class that he is, and the person that he is. And I, I, that goes a long way, believe me. And that's something that I've never forgotten. And, you know, when he was managing the Yankees, for example, I always get a chance to hang out and talk with him. He always made time. And we would sometimes grab breakfast in the morning of a game and he just is loyal and genuine to the people that have been loyal to him along the way. And I, I, you know, I'm not necessarily a Phillies fan, but I'm a Joe Girardi fan. So I want them to do well. Yeah. Well, and what you just said there, you know, when you have dysfunction, you don't win. And it's one of the reasons why the A's have been so successful is when you have Billy Bean, David Forrest, Bob Melvin, consistency, you Mm -hmm. need Consistency, Roxy, to win. And you need to have people that are on the same page and are all have the best interest in the common goal, right? Everybody does the job to the utmost of their capability. And Bob does his job and what he is hired to do, and he does it as well as anybody in Major League Baseball. And the same with David, the same with Billy. And look, they might not always agree on things, but that's good, right? That's healthy for a relationship but at the end of the day i think all of them know and realize that they're in it together and they do have the same common goal and they can each bring their own ideas to the table and they each have the best interest in their belief of the organization which i think makes for a very healthy relationship 
Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I think we really first learned that with the Warriors when Joe Lacob would say, hey, everybody, you put your ego at the door and we're going to be like one great think tank. You're not always going to get what you want, but we're going to make decisions as a team what's best for the organization, not what's best for a certain individual. And that's that's half the battle right there, right? If you're willing to do that, as you said, put your ego at the door. And the Warriors have that perfect complement with, with Lacob and his son, Kirk, in the mix, and certainly what Bob Myers does and Steve Kerr. It just seems like even though with the struggles they're having this year, but Chris, doesn't it seem they're, they're all on the same page? And even with the A's have had some seasons where they're looking to rebuild, right? After the great run of 12, 13, and 14, and 15 was kind of a rebuild to get it back to where it is now. But everybody was on the same page. They're willing to put that ego at the door and work and make the right and correct decisions for the organization. And look, not every decision is going to be right. There's going to be some mistakes made along the way. But when you're right more times than you're wrong, I think it goes a long way. And I think that's why the A's have been so successful. Yeah, there's going to be moves that aren't necessarily the best moves. But the majority of the moves that are made seem to work out. And that's why the A's have had so much success. That's why the Warriors are having success. And look, it's unfortunate. For example, they're dealing with what they've had to deal with as far as the injury to Clay Thompson and what they've gone through. But that's an organization that's doing it right. The A's are an organization that's doing it right. You know, when you look at these potential rule changes that are going to be implemented down in the minor leagues, uh, what do you think about it? Do you like them? Do you dislike them? Where are you on it? Well, like, I don't know where I sat on the rules that we experimented with last year, right? The universal DH and then the starting at second base uh, in extra innings and the seven inning double headers. But you know what? They kind of grew on me. And do I want to see the universal DH? I'm probably still against it. I, I like the separation and the differences between National League and American League ball. So I'm kind of good if we stay with the pitcher hitting. But, for example, the, the larger base is interesting to me because I think it's going to prevent some, maybe some injuries we normally would get, right? If you go with a bigger base, especially at first base, it, it creates that little buffer of separation. And I know somebody tried to float it out there. Oh, well, it might be a little easier to steal bases now because the bases are a little bit bigger and, and it's just a little bit of a shorter distance. But for me, I think the biggest thing is to avoid injuries, Chris, right? Because if you have a bigger bag at first base, it gives more room for the first baseman to stay out of the baseline. But it also provides an opportunity for the runner to have a clear path where he might not run into the guy at first base. Well, I got to tell you, it, it, whatever's going to promote more running and more action, I am all for. <laughs> I, mean, I, am, I am tired of the three-and-a-half, four-hour game with not a whole lot of action. I want action back in baseball. I want athleticism back in baseball. And it, it makes it for an exciting game when you have that pressure being put on the defense, hitting, running, and stealing, and trying to take that extra base and the aggressiveness that we haven't necessarily seen with some clubs. Now we have seen it with the A's and, you know, guys like Laureano get aggressive on the base pass and the smart base running of a guy like Matt Chapman, for example. So that, that could play in when you have the versatility to do some different things. I think it really opens up the game. And when you can put pressure on the defense, Chris, in, in more ways than one, then that gives you more options and different ways to win baseball games. 
Well, you know, if you think about the hallmark of the of the Angels in the early '90s, I mean, excuse me, in the early 2000s, uh, they ran the bases under Mike Sosha as well as anybody. They took first to third more than anybody. I mean, they just generated more runs by being smart on the bases, and everybody always praised Mike Sosha. It was like, well, you know what? It's a reality. They're fundamentally sound. And it wasn't always because of the speed, right? But as, as you said, it fundamentally sound, and they were smart, and they were able to read plays. And I think that's what's good about this A's team is they have smart baseball players, the way Matt Chapman can read some things. I, I've, I've been impressed the way Sean Murphy sees things when he's on base. He, look, he might not be the, the fastest base runner, but even he, I, I think, can read plays. And you want to have that high baseball IQ. Certainly Steven Piscotti, Mark Hanna. Those are guys that can do this, and they think and see the game, and that's part of it. You can't just play station to station because if you do that, it gets mundane, it gets boring, which you talked about. But when you have the guys that can read the plays and know their limitations but also understand, you know what, if I get a good jump, if I get a good break on this, I can get to third base easily. And I think Elvis Andrews is a guy that fits into that mold too. Now, he might not have the speed he used to have because at one point he was – he was pretty quick, Chris. He, he was a blazer, as we know. But he's still a smart baseball player. And he also, I think, fits into the, that, that dynamic in terms of being able to think and see the game. You know, last time Cody and I were in Vegas was when the A's were taking on the Cleveland Indians and everything was still wide open. What is Las Vegas like right now? It's a ghost town. It is eerie, Chris. When I flew in here Tuesday night, the Las Vegas airport, McCarran International Airport, which is usually a hotbed of action, right? There's people coming, going at all hours of the day. I landed at about 8 o'clock, and the airport was empty. It was dead. And, and this is another sign, right, that, okay, normally when you get in, it takes you like 15 minutes for an Uber to come get you, right? It took three minutes for that Uber to show up. That goes to show you how little traffic is coming in and out. And then going to the hotel, we stayed at the Park MGM, which is right across from T-Mobile Arena, uh, where the Pac-12 tournament was, also the home of the Vegas Golden Knights. And um, we're just walking around the property and then out to Las Vegas Boulevard just to get some air and go get takeout and come back. There was nobody out. It is to walk up above on the bridge, the sky bridge up above the street, and see minimal traffic during what would be a morning commute rush hour at like 8.30 in the morning, it was strange to see. It was a very bizarre sight, Chris. So when you're walking through the casino, there, there are people still gambling, right? There are very limited numbers of people. I, I saw some people. Um, I had to walk through there to get to one of the takeout places at the hotel, so that's the only time I ventured into the casino. And yes, I'm being truthful and honest. <laughs> but... <laughs> But people are masked up, except when they're drinking. The, the masks are mandatory at the hotels. Um, the, the Park MGM is a smoke-free facility, so you don't have that haze hovering around the casino in the lobby. And, it, look, they tried to insulate the place as much as they could because all the teams were staying there and make it as much of a bubble as they possibly could, and they did a phenomenal job. But it's still, you know, it, it really – some people are still trying to live life like it's normal, but for the most part, people are being smart and cautious about the way they're going about things. 
Well, I'm just so happy that you got to get back on a plane, leave Las Vegas so you can go home to call a game. <laughs> in Las Vegas. It's, it's the way of the world right now, unfortunately. Oh. God, your wife has got to be like, get, get. can you go back to work? <laughs> well, I am working. She knows it. But the problem is she wants me to work from out of the house. She just doesn't <laughs> like me working inside the house. Oh, my God. I just look at my kids and my wife like, can we just get back to school? God. Seriously. We're getting there. Slowly but surely, we're getting there. All right, buddy. Be safe. We'll talk to you next week. You too. All right, Uncle Tony. See you, buddy. I mean, the last time we were in Vegas, it's jam-packed. It was tough finding a restaurant to get into. And now it's dead. Well, there is news. Uh, I just saw this um, a couple minutes ago. Um, apparently, the governor of Nevada saying that starting Monday, events can hold up to 50% capacity, meaning the Golden Knights can have around 9,000 fans for their games. Hmm, guess who they play next Monday and Wednesday? That'd be the Sharkies. That'd be the Sharkies. So there's one piece of news that happened about when it comes to Vegas. I saw something when Roxy was talking. This has nothing to do with baseball, and I'm sorry. I'm going to just mention it real quick. You're 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 taking us off the path here. Yeah, Is that what you're saying? If I if if we had a program director, he'd be yelling at me for you know taking us off the uh, off the rails for a second. But there was a trade that just happened in the NBA, and it was a it was a minuscule trade. But the Detroit Pistons are getting a 2027 second round draft pick. Who trades a draft pick six years in the future? Why are we doing this? Why are we trading 2027 draft picks? They just trade. That's 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 the trade. The trade here. I'll pull. Up the, I'll tell you what the full trade was. Orlando or o- Oklahoma City is trading one of their players to the Pistons for another player. I can't say either of the players' names. Uh, and a 2027 second round pick. So the Pistons are sending a player and a pick six years in the future to the Thunder for one other, for one player. I, again, like why are we trading draft picks from six years in the future? I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, exactly. It's it, it. Sorry, I saw it. It just threw me off because I, I just don't understand how you can do that. Can you imagine? I, I'll give you my twenty thirty two second round pick. Well, that was like <laughs> what that was like the big thing for years of the Warriors is they never had any first round draft picks because they traded them all away. For years, like they they were like, yeah, the Warriors don't have draft picks for the next couple of years. How don't you have a first-round pick? Who are you trading for? You're giving up all these draft picks. It's not like the Warriors are acquiring a bunch of talent when they're giving up these draft picks. Newsflash, they were terrible until 20, what, 2013? I, 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 I've always wondered why baseball, you couldn't trade. They, you still can't trade your draft picks in baseball, right? No, and that's actually something that they, you know, I think that they could start kicking around for um, – well, if you want to try to fix the draft and stuff, and like maybe the even the CBA, trading draft picks and like you know the service time and stuff, there's ways you can probably get around the trading. Yeah, but I, I don't think baseball's ever done draft pick trading. No, I don't think they have, and they got to do something because you can't have that this many teams not trying to win. It's just it's just not healthy for your sport. So I don't know what you do to these teams. But you're you're rewarding teams, which is understandable. If you finish in last place, you should get the first pick, right? You finish with the worst record. 
But if you're really trying for that record, that's where the problem is. If you just had a bad season, maybe you had injuries, maybe just some bad deals. But if you're if you're trying not to win, and we're not talking about the players, the manager, and the coaching staffs. They're trying to win. But reality is, if I don't give you good players, you're not going to win. And so when you're trying to go for the, the first pick in the next three to four drafts, or at least a, a, a top five pick in the next X amount of draft, where you're just tanking, well, then when you have a bunch of teams doing it, how competitive is your league? Like, how competitive is baseball right now? Can you question that? I personally think that baseball is way more competitive right now than the NBA. I mean, there's teams in the Eastern Conference in basketball that make the playoffs with a record under 500. People are crying that the Astros made the playoffs last year with a losing, with a losing record. They was once to the World Series. You don't see these teams in basketball get to the playoffs with a losing record and go far. It just doesn't happen. And you're seeing it. Like The Sixers are the best example in basketball. They tanked for years. They got Joel Embiid. They got Ben Simmons. And they, they called it trust the process. I would know I'm a Sixers fan. But for years, they stunk. Like, literally, they were terrible. And they're finally starting to put together, like, five, six years later, they're finally doing it. Where baseball, at least you're seeing some teams turn it around quicker than normal. But uh, what's going on right now is just what the, the Pirates and the Orioles and, and Detroit and – I mean, at least the Royals are actually trying. Dayton Moore is actually trying to put a competitive team out there, and he's making trades and signing free agents where the Rockies aren't signing anyone, the Orioles aren't signing anyone, the Pirates aren't. The Orioles are deferring uh, arbitration money down the future for players. That's how much money they don't want to spend. So, hey, uh, hey, Seattle Mariners, trust hey. the process? Yeah. Last time they were in the playoffs was 2001. Trust the process. Orioles, trust the process. I don't know. I you know, just because the Astros got it right doesn't mean everybody should be doing it. Yeah, there were two teams that got it right. It was them and the Cubs, and it's a small sample size. The Rays don't. The Rays don't believe. The Rays don't tank. The A's don't tank under Billy Bean. They never have. There are certain teams that don't tank. The, the Royals don't tank. They they they're they kind of rebuild and reload. I mean, like when they had all that talent they put together in the mid. 2010s when they went to the World Series back-to-back years. They had a really good team put together for years. And then all those guys left. They're not, you weren't going to be able to resign Hosmer and Moustakis and Escobar. and I mean, they kept Sal Perez, but like you weren't, be able to, you weren't going to be able to keep those guys. Like now, Lorenzo the... the what's that? Lorenzo Kane. Yeah, Lorenzo Kane. Like, I mean, he's now with Zach Granke. Like they, well, Granke wasn't on that team, but Granke was a Royal. But my whole point is, like, there's teams like the Orioles who just they're like, oh yeah, you know, we're we're probably not gonna be good again this year, but you know, next year we might be good. You have the top prospect, second best prospect in baseball, and Adley Rushman, and you're and you're and you're not gonna play him. Oh, you can't bring him up. No, yeah. no, no, no. We gotta keep him in the minor leagues, so we're not gonna have to pay him one year earlier. Yeah, it, that that whole thing is just. I was listening to Buster Olney and Kelly uh, Kylie McDaniel talk about that earlier on Baseball Tonight, just about. How maybe teams won't do it this year where they wait an extra day. They'll wait maybe an extra week and then call the player up so it doesn't look so suspicious. It's like, it doesn't matter. We know what you're doing. Yes. The cat is out of the bag. Yeah, you can thank Kevin Mather for that. Once the Mariners president, which that's going to be played on a loop during the CBA negotiations. Because the players now have the audio. They have the video. 
hey, this is what we do. We manipulate service time. This is what this sport does. You had a president of a Major League Baseball team say it. And now the cat, as they like to say, is out of the bag. Yeah, and, and Ken Rosenthal had a really good way to like try to combat this. He said that in his article, make all players who celebrate their 28th, birth- 28th birthday by a specific date eligible for free agency at the end of that season. That way, a team potentially would control the rights to an international player for 12 years, a high school player for 10, and a college player for about seven, you know, for, for a lot of guys, because, you know, guys coming to college are usually 21, 22. International kids are usually 16, and high school kids obviously are 17 or 18. So we give you, you have until a certain amount of date, and then if you don't, if you don't, uh, don't want to resign them, then they go into free agency at 28, but you can keep loading up on talent, but you won't be able to hoard all these guys forever like teams are doing. So he says, make it 20. The minute you turn 28, you're a free agent. Yeah. That's interesting. Because I, I wonder if I wonder if the players union would go for that. Well, he, he also notes he notes that the union will be upset that some players won't get to free agency by the time they're 26, like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper did. Because the next guy that could do that is Juan Soto. Because Soto could be 26 when he becomes a free agent because of the way his his service time and everything worked. Yeah, but are you going to hold up a collective bargaining agreement on just you know? A couple guys it's happened to. They're the outliers. Yeah, they are. They, I mean, they truly are. Then Juan Soto coming up if he doesn't resign in D.C. is the next guy. I mean, that that's going to be unfortunate if you're a Nats fan. Two of the best franchise uh, ge- uh, generational talents you've had in your franchise could leave by the age of their, you know, by the by the age of 26 and Harper and Juan Soto. Coming up next, we're going to preview the Philadelphia Phillies with former big leaguer. San Jose State great, my man Kevin Franzen right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN and MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. And when I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to A's Cast Live. There he is, Kevin Franzen, one of the great San Jose State Spartans of all time. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I just can't wait for baseball to get going. I can't <laughs> wait to go to a game. You know, I we can't have... wait to be there. Like yeah. literally right now. Yeah, it's ba- it's so so frustrating from afar. You got to Did you get to call games at the ballpark? Yeah. Yeah, I did. From the uh I, I would do home games uh two or three innings. And then um the road games all from the ballpark for the the road games getting all the monitor. And then we're doing the same thing right now for spring training which sucks yeah. you know we well because you're trying to describe everything on the radio right yeah and it's just you, you you just don't get that opportunity to you don't get the opportunity like it like the one thing i love about spring training is the backfield stuff the stuff that you're working on the guys coming in with the, maybe a weakness you're trying to you know you, you spent all off season working on where well, you're trying to refine it uh, I miss going there and seeing that stuff and, and then seeing it in action, obviously, right in front of you. We haven't been to an official game since the A's wild card game against Tampa. Unreal. Yeah. Well, then, you know, you know, it's, you know, you know, it's so sad. <sighs> we've, we've been talking about this. As of right now, these minor league guys, they haven't been in a game well, for 18 months. Yeah. No. And, and, and a lot of people have, uh, you know, been harping on this, this seven inning games. I don't know how you're on it. I love it. 
because of what I've seen early on. Um, I know there are opportunities for young guys that that haven't, but let's be honest here. There's a lot of guys that hadn't played in like a year, year and a half, and you could see it. It's the sloppiest end of the games I've seen in a long time because last two years I was involved in this, um, being down there, saw some great play by especially our like our Phillies young guys and, and doing all the little things. Right now, it's just these guys are trying to get their their pairings straight. And, and you could see it. And so, like, the, the first week, seven inning games, I was like, thank you. This is amazing. So, yeah. Can you imagine not playing in a game for 18 months? And when we and when we think they're coming back will be the 20th month they haven't played. Unbelievable. Uh, no, I honestly haven't given it a thought because it just makes me depressed for those guys. You know, because you don't that that's the biggest question I have on this year. I, I talked to you a long time ago about what the pitchers were going to be like, and now it's all coming up like, oh, how they how's this going to happen? I was like, why weren't you guys thinking about this like during June when it was going to be 2.0? Um, I worry about and, and wonder what and how are we judging the growth of some of these young guys going into 2021? The ones that did not have the opportunity to go to the alternate site, did not have the opportunity to play in winter ball to get better. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see how we evaluate um, as, as a whole because there's a lot of teams and, and previews we can have, ours especially with the Phillies, that it is hard to judge um, how our farm system can come up and help when we don't know how good or bad or whatever these guys have you know gotten in that time off we don't even know what the hell they've been doing yeah well you trust you 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 trust them and 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 again if some of these guys took a step away from the baseball side to to find a job to to do something because they had to you know actually make some money uh i totally understand that too but i mean yeah i i i wonder i hope i i just hope that it's it's a good brand of baseball well, the one thing about the Phillies, 12 blown saves in 2020, <laughs> and there was only 60 games. So 20% basically of your games were blown saves. Boy, they could have had a far better record than that. Than you what think? They had at, um, well, you know what's crazy? We had a lead in 48 games last year. Had a lead at some point. Doesn't matter if it's the top of the first or bottom of the first. Doesn't matter. 48 games. I think the only other team that was close to that was the uh, the Dodgers, and their record was quite different than ours. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how, how tough was it going through, like, every night going, how are we going to blow this one? Yeah, it, it was one of those where, it, look, all this stuff is still new for me you know, on the broadcasting side and describing it and being, you know, and the feelings are still new. Um. Cause you're not, you're invested, but you're not invested in that clubhouse and you know how it's going to be, but it's like, man, cause you know, these guys that we traded for, like the workmans and the Embrys and, and, and David Phelps, they weren't trying to throw it down the middle, you know, missing their spots. The execution wasn't there. Uh, Velo was the same as always, but it's just like the execution part. It just consistently got worse and worse. You're like, Oh, and they were trying, these guys were out early doing all their, uh, their side work and, and trying to figure it out last year with Brian Price. Um, but this year, Dave Dombrowski, Sam Fold, they brought in a whole new um, stable of, of relievers and added depth, which has been a, uh, a huge problem that we've had here. Um, depth of arms. If someone goes down, what do you have? You have a placeholder. 
Well, the good teams don't have placeholders. They have quality depth that comes in and actually can do something. They, they push. Um, some of these minor league guys that we've seen early on that were out the alternate site, Damon Jones, uh, Bailey Falter, they're, they got the arms. They're lefties that, that have the arms um, that we're going to see more of. But like Archie Bradley coming in, Jose Alvarado looks an, unbelievable right now. 99 sink, pretty awesome from the left side. Looks like a, a right-handed cutter. Um, has a little, And he does have a cutter from the left side that he'll throw. But we got 10, 12 guys right now that are averaging 95 and a half and above in spring training. We had two last year. That's big. I'm like, look, we're all about like the pitching side, being able to hit spots and do that, right? You and I, we, we could talk about that all day. But the power is nice to have, and it's a great luxury to have to overcome those those mistakes of not being able to hit spots. And these guys, um, it, it's it's just I hope it's going to be different. You know, that first month is going to be incredible for the Phillies um, based on who they play in the Braves, the Mets, uh, the Nationals. And you're looking at they have to get off to a hot start. And what's going to be involved in that hot start, that bullpen? Because you want people on your side. You want the, the fans on your side and not be like, ah, oh, this is same as last year. Well, it's not the same as last year. It's a new year. You got to flip it and boom, let's let's go. I think about you and your career. When you were coming up, let's say Bellarmine, San Jose State, minor leagues, or when you got to the big leagues, when did you start to realize that velocity is at an all-time high? It's like it, like all the guys you're seeing coming out of the bullpen are throwing 97, 98, because that wasn't around when I played. Yeah. It wasn't around when I was a kid. Like Nolan Ryan threw hard and Randy Johnson. But now we now now we got guys, we don't even know these guys' names, and they're throwing yeah. When did you notice that? Um, so going from San Jose state to, uh, short season in Salem was okay. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty much, it was a way bigger step down from facing rice all the time. Cause all those rice, the three pitchers from rice that went first round that, that year, um, Umber Neiman and Townsend, like they were bringing 95 plus. Uh, so that was fine. A ball in high A in San Jose the following year, it was like, they were bringing in dudes that were throwing 96, 97, couple guys Juan Mario he was with Modesto with the Rockies at the time and and uh he was he was pumping 100 101 uh Ubaldo Jimenez was there and he was throwing 99 to 100 as a starter you had Edison Volquez so that like changed it was like oh man this is this is rough you're like where's the lefty throwing 90 you know and, and you would get it you would get it for sure you would get it uh but you know what, what was incredible was that in a ball, it was almost the easiest thing in the world to hit though, because if there was, go, if they go breaking ball or change up in the dirt, spike it, not just off the plate. I'm talking about spike in it. They're not going right back to it. So it was easy. You're, you're eliminating pitches. You're in, in, in hitting became easy. Double A is where the velocity plus the, uh, the location part didn't baffle you, but it really, it opened your eyes and knew that like each from pitch to pitch, it was going to be a, a, a challenge. So uh, these guys now, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous what they're facing. Like it seriously, from the five years I've been out of the game, the game velocity wise has changed completely. And it is incredible, incredible. The arms that are out there. Yeah. And every team's, every single team's got them. And you got to develop them. But and that's the biggest thing is that like not only not only are you trying to develop these pitchers, you're trying to develop and, and build these these arsenals for these guys that work for them, 
um, you know, you're pushing the envelopes on all these guys because we're seeing that, you know, through science and, and all this stuff is that you're able to create some guys. Um, but it still comes down to that that batter pitcher relationship. You can put all the numbers you want, but if I could look out at you and you look you look timid out on the mound, I got you, right? And, and we see that all throughout. It's like, oh, this guy's got an incredible arm. Just look at the guy's body language. He'll let you know. He'll let you know why he's getting hit at like a, at, at like a 380 clip right now, you know? Like you tell me, like Dallas Braden is still one of my favorite examples of all because the guy doesn't touch really 90 at all. But because of how he competes, how he busts everyone in on their hands, he goes changeup, which was the nastiest changeup I had seen for a long time. Never tell him that if you ever see him. But the, he's, the, on the, the, he's on the show today. Oh, wonderful. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> but but the thing w- about him was that he competed and he hit his spots. And the spots that he hit were off the barrel. But he challenged you. He came after you. And that demeanor that he had on the on the mound, you wanted to kick his ass as a hitter. But you knew you're getting it, right? There, and Instead of being like, huh, this is going to be an easy one. You just knew right when you, right when you put that toehold in, you were just like, it is going to be a grind. And there needs to be more of that. We don't see enough of that. We see way, way too much arm talent and less guys with the belief and confidence that they're going to just dominate you. Yeah, Scott Emerson, our pitching coach, says, I don't need minor league throwers. I need major league pitchers to get yep. out. 100%. And you see it all over the place. Like the arm talent's great, right? Throwing 100 is awesome. But if you're going to walk every guy, if you're going to be 3 2 on every guy, what good is that? You know, when it's coming down to a mono mono pitch, not, I'm not talking about like just the, the, the actual matchup, but just the one pitch because it's 3 2, 3 2, 3 2. That's where we're in the problems. Right, <laughs> Bryce Harper signed that huge deal. Thirteen years, three hundred and thirty million. H- how's his relationship with Philly Philly fans? Awesome, they love him. I mean, he plays his butt off for him. Uh, I would say, um, you and I've talked about this. I I don't. I never actually focus on the the three thirty. I, I focus on the the what he is every. You know, it's a twenty six, twenty five, twenty six million dollar a year player. Um. And if you were to ask me, is he that? Hell yeah, he is. I mean, he has put up some some really good numbers. Last year, he got hurt uh, and tried to play through it, and it was a struggle and still ended up with a 960 OPS. So you tell me. You know, I mean, it's the fact that, like, he has embraced the Phillies fans, and I think more than anything, they see that when he had grinded through some, some back issues last year that was uh, – it was pretty tough to watch. He kept playing. He wasn't trying to sit. And it, it, it just like the, the town loves it. And and hopefully, you know, the guys follow. More and more guys follow. And uh, you get a little bit more wins and hopefully into the playoffs. You got enough starting pitching to win the division? Um, I think that's the question for everyone. Um, because you look at the just every single staff in this division is unbelievable the question is going to be the depth, right? Um, one, two, three, I think we're solid. I don't think we're, we're at the top of the league, top of the division with that, uh, with Noel Wheeler and, and Eflin, they have really good stuff, but is it DeGrom? There's no DeGrom. I'm sorry. What do you, if you watched his outing yesterday, I went and watched it. It was like, Oh God, 
one oh sitting like 100 to 102 in three innings and punching out seven you're like <laughs> that's fun but but you look at their staff and how stroman's there and carrasco hopefully he is health you know i'm i'm hoping he's healthy because i'm a, a big fan of carlos carrasco um and, and you look at later on down the road they have a trade chip already coming their way in noah Syndergaard. that's going to be infused into their into their rotation the braves are young but they you know as far as the starting staff um Charlie Morton was a great addition for them, right? To go with Max Freed, uh, Ian Anderson, uh, who who had proven, but Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright finally turned a corner for them. So you're looking at, and, and then if you want to go with the the ones that I like to talk about a lot are the Marlins with the Alcantara Lopez and Sixto Sanchez, Trevor Rogers. That kid is a stud. They have a staff. So to sit here and say like, do we have enough? You know, we depending on Spencer Howard, depending on Vince Velasquez, depending on Chase Anderson, depending on Matt Moore, we have more depth than we have in the past. So it it just, again, how many starts are you going to get out of those guys? How much are you going to have to utilize the bullpen? I think is going to be a big deal this year. If they can get six on average from the, uh, the top three, I think they'll be in good shape. Do you think there's going to be any ramifications either for hitters or pitchers because they only played in 60 games last year? You know, the dog days I think are going to be more dog day, dog day-ish than we've ever seen. Because usually in the dog days back in the, you know, the 80s and 90s, you'd pop in those green pills for those guys, you know, and they ban those things. And guess what? It's a little different for people. Uh, the dog days now, nutrition's better the workouts are better all this stuff but that 60 game season last year i think is going to cause that like back end of july august to be a real grind for these guys different than any any other that we've seen where you might see some slots really sloppy play during that time all over baseball that that, that's where i look at it with when it comes to those guys playing 60 games now you go to the minor league side i i just hope we evaluate Give it some time. Let it breathe a little bit. I know we don't have that with certain, you know, guys, but you're going to have to because these guys haven't played and that game action is totally different. And I, I, and I, I, I'm still looking around going, I understand how we have the money to protect big league baseball players and the people like yourself and myself who work around the team. Uh, I just don't know what, how good minor league baseball is going to be with dealing with COVID-19 and people still getting it. I agree. I agree. No, and and it sucks. It's just like everything on top of one another, the, the elimination of teams you have, you know, so limit, you know, limiting some jobs for, for a lot of minor league players. Um, You know what these workers didn't have all last year. They're trying to look, they're dependent on a lot of these players, correct? You know, and, and and so are those players going to be, very selfless when it comes to outside the ballpark. That's going to be the big question. And and you got to hold each other accountable to make sure it's right, because it's not about you. It's never been about you in this whole pandemic. And when it comes to that minor league season, these kids have got to realize it's not about you. There's a lot of people that are depending on you for this season within the minor league system for, you know, th- those, those ballparks. And they're playing in States that are wide open. <laughs> How about Texas? Unbelievable. 
Yeah, Texas. Go Rangers, right? All right. Way to go. Would you would you actually want to go sit at a baseball game with all these people around you who you don't know? Do you think that we're smart enough to say, yeah? Right? Like I I feel like we're 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 so dumb when we think about this as a as a society because to me, shouldn't we look at the fact that oh, they're going to reduce attendance after the first game. First game open it up to everyone doesn't that like just kind of trigger something guys maybe this isn't right maybe we shouldn't do this no i i don't know i don't know they just do it different there i guess you know like, it's amazing well, like, like when you're playing golf and at the end of the round now everybody just touches putters hey good round good round no one is hand hey which putter we got the actual putter in i mean it's it's uh i, I can't imagine I, I was talking to a buddy today Remember Coach Arbet of the San Jose Sabercats? Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the one of the greatest teams of all time. Yeah, he, he franchises. Was, he was going to lunch indoors in Arizona today. Man, no thanks, no thanks, <laughs> no thanks. And, and it's like the you know what? And you know this, like just the the actual like thinking outside the box for for so many small businesses that run you know for 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 food for restaurants for the that. Man, it sucked for you guys. But at the same time, we as a society saw some of the most incredible people that worked within that think outside the box and get things done because they had to, because they wanted to, because they depended on not only that, but the people that worked for them. They found ways. Isn't that, isn't that like the thing that like I, I, I stand away and, and sit back and, and try to take that like not even 30,000 feet, but the 50,000 foot, you know, view of the whole thing. And I go, the restaurant industry to me was the one that got affected almost probably the most. Right. I mean, it, hands down, but we saw some of the most creative people and the people that were the most selfless people in that industry. And I just, I, I, I just hope we're able to recover on that. We our restaurant in Walnut Creek still not open for indoor dining contra costa time contra costa county is it dragging you down we we're surviving uh, exactly because you find a way but that's yeah, the thing it. that's it, it it's you guys have found a way and that's the, that's the thing that's incredible with this whole thing and that, that so that's why in reverting back to the the you know the texas with the rangers uh it just it, it's incredible to think of how stupid we could really be and not look at the big picture of the whole thing because we want a full, we want like a whole second half of a full crowd everywhere to be amazing. But if we're going to be stupid about it and not smart and not go like, you know, start, start small, like people are going to laugh, but it's true. Like the 50% thing in Baltimore, when they open that up in Maryland, people are like, Oh, I can't believe they're doing it. I was like, well, they're not going to get any fans anyway. So you're good. You know, like they're, they have a zero percent chance in in off fan graphs to make the playoffs. So why would they show up? So you're there. There's so many different situations. Open slow, enjoy it, and I, I think more than anything, and we're seeing it a lot from players. But it needs to continue on, is to show the appreciation and love for these the fans that are showing up at spring training, um, and truly how missed they have been, uh, and 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 not because of. You know, they're it's just they're having people in the stands is so different and it's so great. It does not matter if it's five, it does not matter if it's 40,000. It matters that there's actually one because that's more than it was last year. 
All right, buddy. It's great to see you. We miss you. Let's talk soon. All right. Can't wait. Tell Braden I said what's up. We will do that. Take care, buddy. See you guys. Kevin Franzen, San Jose State, great. Also, I forgot. I I, I didn't. I didn't give him the billing of uh, Sirius XM. Also, he's been on there on the MLB channel. He was doing it today with uh, John, John, JP Morosi. So he was doing the show today. But uh, you know, of course, he mentioned Braden, so I had to go look it up uh, in his career versus Dallas Braden. Franny owned Dallas. Uh, Franny a career three thirty three hitter against Dallas, and well, he was one for three. And it was all in one game when the A's played the uh, Angels back in 2010. Really? Yeah, I have it right here. He His first at bat, he reached on an E6, then he singled the right, and then he grounded out um, He grounded out in his, his third at bat. So he's one for three versus Dallas. Hmm. Dallas did have a great changeup. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. His changeup was fantastic. Let's see. Who did Franny – I want to see who Franny – oh, Franny owned – wow. He owned Cole Hamels, a career 462 hitter with, with a home run against Hamels. A 333 hitter in nine at-bats against Strasburg with a home run. He had a home run against Jeff Samarja. He hit 500 against Samarja. Uh, Dontrell Willis, he also owned hitting 333 with a home run. So there's some guys on this list that Franny owned as a hitter. Barry Zito. Right. Franny is, I, I believe, still our all-time hits leader at San Jose State. You don't play. You don't play in the big leagues uh, if you if you don't have talent. Well, it's true. A couple guys he struggled against. Some guy named Kershaw. He struggled a little bit against him. Uh, didn't do very well against Johnny Cueto, and uh, he couldn't hit Jake Peavy. Only one fifty-four hitter versus Peavy, but. Um, some of the guys I mentioned that he owned with home run wise, they're not Nolan Ryan like Ray Fossey, but they're still some pretty good company that Franny's a part of there. So, but remember, three thirty three hitter against Dallas, so we can we can bring that up to him if we have to. You know, they would be if, if they were they were never teammates, but if they were, they would be two of the guys that you'd love to have on your team, and if you're covering the team, you'd love to go to them because. Is Franny Fran, Franny never sounds like he has a bad day, and Dallas Braden's ready, ready to rock every day. They would be great teammates. Yeah, I'm, I'm a I'm a I love Franny's personality and the way he he's so optimistic about the Phillies. Um, I mean, they their offense was very good. I mean, I wouldn't say very good, but their offense was good last year, and Harper was really good, even with the injuries. And they brought back Real Muto. They brought back Didi. And, you know, you got a healthy Andrew McCutcheon. You, you're hoping to see more progression from Scott Kingery. Uh, they have a nice offensive team. Their pitching staff, uh, uh, besides Wheeler and Nola, are kind of unknowns. I know Hembo really likes Zach Eflin. Uh, well, he's a Philly homer, so, of course, he's going to like Zach Eflin. <laughs> he's an he's a East Coast Philly honk. Yeah, he is. He hates, West Co- he hates the West Coast, but he loves the Phillies. So, um, and he, he won't watch Fernando Tatis play uh, at night because – he doesn't think he should be playing in the 27th market in baseball. I just, the whole Bryce Harper deal, I just don't see that ending well. Now, you might be able to make the case that with players starting to make over $30 million a year, Trevor Bauer getting, what, $40 million a year, 
maybe Bryce Harper to some is going to look like that, like his deal is not that, not that big. I I don't know how you, you, you could really ever look at 300 million and say, that's not a lot of money, but I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to his money right now. I think the crazy thing too, about his deals, he has no opt outs in there either. So, so like- he's basically scheduled to make 27, just a little over 27.5 million every year until 2028. And then the last three years of the deal, when he's 36, 37, 38, it drops down to just over 23.5. So Bryce Harper's 36 years old, and he's still pretty good, and he's making $23.5 million. That might seem like a deal. You know what I'm saying? I don't think any you know years from now. I mean, when we're in 2030 or 2031, I don't think we're going to be sitting here thinking that's big loot. No, probably not. And you're, if you're a Phillies fan, God bless you if you are. The team has made the playoffs in 2011, but you spend like you're a playoff team every year. Uh, they, they, you're hoping Harper delivers for you with a World Series or, or, or even a deep playoff run at least once. And I, I just don't know. Like, I like Joe Girardi as the manager, but I just don't know how I feel with that team competing against the Braves, competing against the Mets. The, the Nationals are going to be back this year. And then you got Miami, who might be a year away from being competitive. I don't want to say a year away from being a year away. I think their pitching staff will carry them. And their offense needs to come together more. But, you know, you got a lot of good teams. They might have – the NL East might be the best division in baseball, and it might not be close. Coming up next, A's broadcaster Dallas Braden right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Sean Manaya. Sean has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. The man, the myth, the legend, the great Dallas Braden joins us here on A's Cast Live. How are you? I'm doing well, my man. How are you doing? Well, I just had Kevin Franzen on. and now I mean, come on. That's back-to-back. It doesn't get any better than that. It, it does. It gets a lot better than that, but that's uh, it's not a bad that's not bad for us boys out here in the Bay, right? That, that's a decent. I love me some Kevin Franzen. Shout out to Franny. Him and, uh, him and the pine tar potty. God, what a, what a quality human being. He, uh, he was talking about your changeup and how, just how nasty it was. And it was like, you know, thinking about the way this game is progressing, can you imagine if you threw 98 and had that changeup too? Well, first of all, Tony, I've always said this. If I threw 98, there's a good chance I'd end up behind bars. Um, That just wouldn't be fair for someone like me to be able to throw anything that hard. Uh, But, like, the the idea of a lot of guys having a quality changeup is that fastball velocity. And then, the like, somebody that I think of instantly is – like a Johan Santana or a Tim Linscombe when he burst onto the scene, that kind of velocity, but that change of that deception and those kind of results that you get from those dudes, that's what that kind of game looks like if you have those two weapons in hand. And I think about our own Chris Bassett. If he can live 92 to 94 and then flip you that curveball at 67, oh. mm-hmm. I mean, just the difference. is I, As a hitter, that would just be – that's filthy. 
Well, especially when you talk, and we all understand how the game has started to evolve from trying to sink the ball down and low. Look, there's still a lot of bread to be made if you can keep the ball in the ballpark and keep the ball on the ground because that eliminates a lot of the damage you're trying to avoid. But from there, Townie, like, it's gone north and south. And that's the way the ball game has, has, has been pitched for quite a while now is velo up top, step on the gas, change some eye level with the big breaking ball. If you can even do both, change eye level and slow it down, all a big bassy bender, then absolutely. But that's the way the game is played. So you're right. If you can start to do those two things and then work them off of that fastball with a third weapon, that's where you start to see guys take their game to the next level. And you talk about guys evolving those are the things that you see happen when guys start to take those uh, steps and make those strides in their career is they start to wrap their head around those pitching concepts with their secondary stuff on a different level. You're watching graduation after graduation occur. And a guy that I know you're really good friends with, and I think he's one of the, uh, one of the great minds we have in this game, Scott Emerson. I mean, oh man, you talk about, and, and, you were with him in the minor leagues. I mean, you know how good he is. I love, I, I, I've always said this about emo and, and I'm sure this rings true today. I know it does. Um, the preparation I, in 2005 Townie, all right. Think about all the way back in 2000 to 2005. I, I had color coded charts at request from emo. He was like, Hey, I will put this stuff together for you guys. If you want it, if this is something you're into, I can prepare this. I can, and I was one of those guys who was like, yo, show me the grainy video that looks like you shot it through your dirty tube socks. And let's see what this hitter looks like. Let's, let's see what I look like. Like, let's see all of it. Let me, you know, get me the, the, the rough numbers that you're putting together. Let's see how they apply. Absolutely. And that was a thing back then. And I, I know that it has only gotten more fine. Like it's just more fine tuned for emo. That's what he does. He wakes up, and he he breathes the game. He breathes the art even more. That's what that's what pumps his heart is the art of pitching. You know, I think about how great video is, and I'm also starting to realize because we've had three or four, including Bert Smith, who's coming up here at six thirty. Nice. Where they've they, they they've taught and Matt Olson talked about it. He got so wrapped up in, in the video that it messed him up. And sometimes you just got to simplify, see ball, hit ball, get up there on the mound and attack. Uh, video and all this stuff and the data is great, but it, we could be at a point to where maybe it's being used a little too much. Your thoughts? Oh, well, Tony, think about think about the new rules that are being uh, worked and tested at the minor league level that just got introduced today, right? Yeah. And like that's just that's just a sign that that things are changing and and you've got to uh, i you've got to, you've got to figure out different ways to go about things if if you're going to continue to grow i mean look this this game has needed this game has needed a i don't want to call it a facelift but it's needed an injection of sorts and if if these are the kind of things that that we have to start to consider then so be it well i got to tell you I, I can't wait to put on these virtual reality goggles. Have you heard about this? What guys are doing? Oh no! So 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 look, that's where we talk about the combination between the VR, the Oculus, and oversaturation with the with the data and with the video 
like because those are two different types of video, right? One is like third person feel. You're watching a you're watching a version of yourself. This other this other uh, option, this Oculus is is first person. Like you're you're tracking these pitches in. You're watching this stuff come into play. So it's uh, I was jokingly uh, you know just kind of poking fun at the idea. It's it's cheating. It's cheating. Come on. There's no like you mean to tell me that these dudes get to take all these virtual a b like like seriously at dinner you could be shoveling your face with prime ribs some of the just best big league dinner you're getting your jaws on while you've got this headset on just crushing ab's while you're crushing protein that is so unfair i as a pitcher am relegated to watching video again and you know maybe dicing somebody up on mlb the show other than that that's about as far as it goes like i don't get that so but in in a serious tone that's great i think it's a that has to open the door for what pitchers can do and how pitchers can utilize this tool and if i'm being honest like i uh, if we're in the trust tree here townie and i might i might have to do a trust tree video about it if if we're in the trust tree here i feel like this is one of those things where hitters they're never going to catch up if you're talking to the old pitcher here they're never going to catch up but this this is a step that they they're, they're starting to close the gap here with these virtual ab's i don't like it i don't like it i tell you i i, I thought about it. i said yeah great if you put that the goggles on yeah sure I play pebble beach <laughs> there you go and then the next morning you get up, you're like, oh, I hit it here yesterday. I did it. I mean, it would be uh, as a pitcher for me. This is what this is what ticks me. Right. Is whether you're using a little pine tar or a little bullfrog for some grip and they want to say that's illegal, but you can use pine tar on the bat. Why do they get all the advantages and we never got any advantages? That's what I've said this entire time is. And, and my whole stance has been. Pine tar, I just say pine tar is allowed in the game of baseball. Yeah, but it's, and I just say, look, pine tar is allowed in the game of baseball. That's how I've always viewed it. Like if it's, it's in the game of baseball, it's in the game of baseball. They're trying to figure out ways to appease the individuals who obviously know that there are substances and there's ways to enhance ball movement, enhance ball spin. And that right there, like you start to talk about guys evolving, you start to talk about guys taking their game to the next level. Well, that's something that could be utilized across the board should it become legal. But then I, I think about it, it's like a scuff. If you don't know how to use the scuff and you don't know what the scuff is going to do, you're probably better off not wanting that ball that's scuffed, and you probably don't. So if you don't know how that ball is coming out of your hand with this substance or whatnot, you're probably just going to play the game the way you always have with a little bit of, you know, maybe there's some pine tar, maybe there's some sunscreen, maybe there's some rosin, and it is what it is. You know, I, I want you to give advice to these minor leaguers because we've been really talking about it the last two shows. It breaks your heart. I mean, it's been 18 months oh. since these guys played in an actual real game, and mm -hmm. they're still two months away from we think it will get started. Right, what right. would your be advice to these guys who have lost their profession for close to two years now? I, I, I mean, Tony, I have no, I have no words of wisdom in terms of how to deal with this entire situation. My only advice would be to continue 
to maintain the mindset that has allowed you to battle through the weeds of the minor leagues, the battleground that is the bus leagues. There's a reason that you're still standing and it's because you are, and you have been built for this. You've been geared up for this. Unfortunately, these are a set of circumstances that nobody could have foreseen in terms of being able to weather this storm as a minor leaguer in this moment, trying to get through the, the minor leagues to the big leagues because your entire progression has been halted to an extent. Um, because I talk about kids that play travel ball and where are you getting the better reps the weekend where you're playing four games a day or that week of practice maybe leading up to and it's like well we don't really have practice we take bp and and whatnot a couple times and that you know so the drilling is what gets it done but these guys they they, they want to practice and do things at an extraordinary level at a professional level at an elite level they need that fine tuning and the ability to do that isn't always just readily available for these guys so that's the crusher is being able to get in your ride and shoot down to the local facility wherever it is and be surrounded by guys <clears throat> that you can quite literally play with that's tough yeah it's in and college too and men men and women's sports it's so many people have lost so much time it's just uh it's really really sad but let's let's end on this we got you back on tv and i can't wait sunday you and g kite back on the tube can't wait to roll man it's gonna be great it's obviously the first uh the, the first nine inning mandation we're gonna play nine townie we're, it's going down. We're going to play nine. You can book that, guarantee that, right? That's what you're hoping. It's the White Sox, I believe. Is that the case? Um, so I'm looking forward to that. They've got a good squad. Um, but but it does, It's it starts to feel like, you know what? Playing against a good team who's uh, who's set to try to make some noise in their division in the Central, you, have, you know the expectations of the club that we have and what kind of start that we would like to get off to. So it's going to be a great time. I can't wait. I mean, just the idea that there's going to be there's going to be fans rattling around. I mean, look, I couldn't be I couldn't be more excited, Tony. I really couldn't. Baseball, baseball is starting to feel like like baseball again. You know, slowly but surely. Yeah, and the fans being back, the 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 appreciation all the players have for them, and all the players we've had on since spring training started. You can just tell the confidence. They've been to the playoffs three straight years, but they've been disappointed three straight years. Mm -hmm. It just seems like there's growth, and these guys are ready for the challenge. Well, you you just kind of hit on something. They've been there, and they've had success to an extent. And, you know, maybe that's the line is drawn at getting there for them. And the best part about that is that pisses them off. That makes them angry. And it's one thing to be okay with having gotten there. And that's not any one of these guys. They expect more of themselves. They know that they can do more as a group. And that's what makes these guys exciting is when you know that about them and you know the work that they're putting in, why would you not be excited to watch what they're about to go out and do for 162 at least in the regular season? Because then we've got bonus baseball on the brain. But you've got to get out the gate hot. You, I, I feel like it's good to start a, uh, start and lay a good foundation. And I know that that's what they're excited to do. I'll tell you what, I'm excited to see you guys on television on Sunday. Baseball on television. Yes, I can't wait. God, I can't wait, Tony. It's good to see you. Take care, buddy. You be well. All right, Cody, good to see you, buddy.
Good to see you, Dallas. I was listening to you on Clubhouse yesterday, and I wanted to ask you something on there. But I'll, I'll wait for the uh, the NL East, and I'll, I'll try to chime in and ask you some stuff on Okay, f- fair enough. Holler at your boy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, see you. Have a great night. We'll see you, guys. The great Dallas Braden. Uh, I'm ready for some real games, man. Yeah, so D- Dallas and, and uh, Dallas was in a, in a room yesterday on on Clubhouse uh, talking about the AL West. So I was, you know, I was in, I was interested. Dallas talked about the A's and like you know people are coming up and they're letting people ask questions to him and the people in the room and uh, all the questions were about the Angels. Essentially, there was not one Astros question. I was blown away that there was not one question about. The Astros, just everyone being hurt or the fans booing them, anything. It was more, can the Angels finally win with Mike Trout this year? God. Ugh. By the way, I just got the notification from MLB app. Left-hander Scott Kazmir, 37 years old, began his comeback with the Giants today. Yeah, his his hair is pretty long too. I saw, uh, I think it was like KMBR. Someone tweeted it, or maybe the Giants tweeted it. But there's a picture of Kaz uh, Scott Kazmir with the, with his hair longer. But he's remember his last year in the majors was 2016, so it's been five years since he's pitched in a major league game. He's now 37 years old. He just turned 37 in January, so he's probably a long shot to make the the Giants. Uh, well, I don't think he'd be in there. He could be in the rotation, but he might be a bullpen guy. But, I mean, I, I'm rooting for him just because I liked him when he pitched for the A's and he pitched for the Rays huh? and the Mets. But He was an all-star with the A's. Yeah, he was really good. I mean, his two years with his two years with the A's or a year and a half he's with the A's. He was 20-14 and 14 with a 3-1-2 ERA, and he had two complete games. Um, he had three career, but two of them were with Oakland. So, shows you, you know, a lot of guys come here and they rebound pitching for the A's. It's there's something that happens here that helps him. I mean, look at Rich Hill. I mean, was, was Rich Hill really anything before he came here? And then you flip him to the Dodgers, and look, he's been bouncing around the league since then. But he was really good in Oakland. Well, I think, you know, from Kurt Young to Scott Emerson, the coaching of pitching in Oakland has been at a very, very high level the data that they've been able to give the guys over the years, whether if you are a big video guy or not, Adam Roden is able to do that. And I, and I just think it, it, you know, you establish yourself as a pitching and defense organization and, and you preach that over and over and over again, people start buying into it. And what Dallas told you so true, Scott Emerson works hard and he works hard to get to know every one of the pitchers and a great pitching coach is going to understand that every every guy I have is different Mike Fires is different than Sean Manaya. Frankie Montas is different from name somebody Burt Smith right all of your players are different so you've got to establish these relationships with these guys to find out how to make them better. What makes them tick? You just you just can't have one one you know this is the way we do it and everybody's going to do it this way. 
That's kind of how the old school will do it. You know, I'm going to have one guy that wants a lot of video. I'm going to have another guy that doesn't want video. I'm going to have one guy who I always got a pat on the back. I got another guy I got a kick in the butt. You have to know your staff. And that's one thing also that's great about Bob Melvin is when Bob Melvin basically tells the players, hey, listen, man, I'm trying to put you in the best spot for you to succeed because when you succeed, you make more money. And as a player, you respect that because there's, there, you know, there, there's been selfish, felt, uh, selfish managers over the years that they just cared about themselves, right? You, you, need, you need a manager who cares about the players. You need the pitching coach, the hitting coach to care about the guys they're teaching. And, and you'll do anything in your power to make them better. And the A's have that on the staff. And that's why when guys leave the A's, they always say, hey, I miss it. Because the room is so good. The clubhouse is so good. The character. The fun. And now with the winning. Chris Bassett said it right on this program. He knows of guys who have left. And they said, it's not fun at these other places. Some of these teams, people are miserable. But you're still coaching even in the big leagues. You're still working on stuff. Cody and I, sit, well, we used to see it. From where we would do our show, right behind us was the bullpen. And we'd, they'd bring the rap Soto out, and they'd, they'd have track man. And they were working on things every day with their pitchers. And they're still doing the same thing. And technology's just going to get better. There's got to be a way you can use the virtual the virtual re- reality with the pitchers. There's got they got to come up with something. I'm sure they'll get there. I mean, we as a as a as a as people, we evolve with everything. And when it comes to technology, technology evolves, and we learn how to use it more and more. And I definitely think that's that's the case with this virtual reality. It's great for the hitters, and I get where pitchers are coming from, like Dallas, where he does. I mean, where he does think it's fair. And like Jake Diekman said that too. Like it's when you gonna have when we gonna have something for us. Like when you gonna have something to help us. Like it. I get it. Like yeah, I mean, you can only work with the the pitching ninjas and the codifies and the, and the guys that help with the different stuff that they do so much, where the hitters are getting all this other you know video or virtual reality or everything that's going on around the game, which is great. Don't get me wrong. It's great to see this technology helping players, but I, I just, I think if we can even the playing field, I think it'll help it out, help out the sport even more. But one of these days when we're back on the field, I just hope one day Emo just calls one of us over and asks us to stand in as a batter when they're throwing a bullpen session, just, you know, to give them a little sense of, uh, I, I, well, I mean, I, I was never a major league hitter. I was a, I, I mean, I was barely a high school hitter. So, but just having that ability to stand there and just stand in, just just for fun. I don't know it crossed my mind when you're mentioning how we stood we stood behind the or in front of the bullpen. Yeah, no, I, I want no part of that. If we get hit, we if we get hit, you get hit. It's okay. It's something to talk I, about forever. I, I, I've been hit by a mid nineties fastball. It's not good. Where where I mean, you, where'd you get hit at? That's my John Lynch story. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> right in the back. I had a bruise there for like three weeks. 
Yeah, whenever somebody gets hit by one of these big league fastballs and that hitter just drops the bat and runs to first base, let me tell you something. He's in he's in horrible pain. He's just hiding it. When when a ball hits you at 97 miles an hour, you are going to be bruised for weeks. It hurts. That's why when people start throwing at each other and they it becomes a fight. I never got hit by a pitch that was that hard. I got hit by a few guys in high school. They weren't throwing. They weren't throwing. They weren't throwing nineties. <laughs> Ninety hurts. Eighty-eight. You get hit. You get. You get hit by an eighty-eight mile an hour fastball. That's gonna hurt. Remember, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. There wasn't a lot of guys that were throwing ninety in the in the nineties. Um, you know, we're no more for football on the uh, western side of Pennsylvania. The Lutrevinos and them, the pitch from the eastern side of the state. That's where you get the hard throwers on the in the western side. We're lucky if guys were hitting. 70s. Uh, you, you, you guys are breeding quarterbacks. Yeah, that's, that's what that's what Western PA is known for. Quarterbacks and what well, I think one of the best baseball players we produced in uh, in the last probably 20 years is Neil Walker, and he he played at high school in, in Pine Richland, and the Pirates drafted him in the first round. I couldn't tell you many guys that were drafted high coming out of Western PA for baseball recently. Joe Montana, Dan Marino. Joe, Joe Namath. Namath, Terrell Pryor, TP. Oh, there was other. There's other. Bruce Gradkowski. There were so many guys that came out of Western PA that were quarterbacks. Yeah, it was. It, 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 we're just not. We're just not joking around. It's serious. I mean, when you start when you start talking about when you start talking about Joe Namath, you're talking about Joe Montana and Dan Marino. <laughs> You're talking about some of the greatest players of all time. Uh, Mark Bolger's from uh, went to the same high school as uh, Dan Marino, Pittsburgh Central Catholic. So Mark Bolger, yeah. another guy that was a, a high level NFL quarterback. How is that possible that Western <laughs> PA produces all these quarterbacks? Uh, it's just because I think it's mainly because football's the 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 emphasis we put on football, high school football there, and, and like the little league program for football, and then going up to high school and everything. It's I know what I lived it. I hated playing football. I I played two years and I stopped. And with the, the way my body was built, everyone was so mad that I was like, I, I don't like it. I played basketball and baseball and soccer after. You are a gentle, you're a, a gentle little flower. Let's let's be honest. Uh, I I like playing. So I mean, I was I was intimidating on the soccer on the pitch though when I played soccer because you don't see guys built like like, like me that were playing soccer. But no. I, I I enjoyed. I mean, I miss playing soccer. I was. But yeah, that Western PA getting all these quarterbacks is just it was it was always something that blew my mind to see here to some of the guys that, that came out of there. But if we were produce baseball players, it'd be a different story. But we don't because it snowed half the year, so you couldn't even play. Ba- there were times where we had games postponed or canceled because it was snowing. So how far so, are you from Latrobe? Latrobe was fifteen, about fifteen to twenty minutes away from where I grew up. So I might- got no excuse because that's where Arnold Palmer grew up and Mister Rogers. So you Latrobe, got, Latrobe Country Club. What you know? What else is there too? Um, as people learn the geography of Western PA, uh, Rolling Rock was based out of there forever. And um, uh, the first, I think, Sunday was there. Banana Split was the the Slinky. There's a lot of stuff that came out of Latrobe. Oh, the Silas Training Camp is there too. So there's a lot of stuff that comes out of this small little area in, in Western PA that no one's ever heard of before. But besides of Mister Rogers I, I, and. I couldn't even tell you the last time I had a Rolling Rock. I don't even remember what it tastes like. 
I got about uh, if you come over and get your birthday bottle of wine from me later, I got about eight b- bottles sitting there from three months ago that I will not drink because it's so bad. March 15th is my birthday. That will be the one-year mark of the last time I was in a bar. I think today was the first – I think a year ago today was when, the, when baseball stopped. And, like, I know a lot of people were chrono- you know, uh, doing you know, stories on, like, a year ago when everything stopped and – and all that, um, but yeah, that's it's crazy that uh, I think even today was the the, the date where gov- the gov- governor Newsom put in the uh, state home order and it went into place. I think what on your birthday last year. I'll never forget. We're at this bar down here in the South Bay called Stevie's, and it's my birthday, and there was like six of us. We ordered a beer. We all got our beers. And all of a sudden, the owner of the bar goes, hey, guys, don't want to rush you, but I got to close up. Newsom's closing us down, and I'm just going to I'm just going to close it down now. And we thought he was joking. It's been almost one year. Since I've been able to go in in a, a, a bar setting. Now, you can be outside at a bar, but I'm talking about being in the bar. You can be outside if you have food. Now, around us, like as rookies, is that can you go? Is rookies set up to go in now? Um, I haven't been down. I haven't been down like the one in downtown. I've been down that down there. Um, I haven't been to anywhere um, like downtown that since we went into the red tier. And I know for sure it happened earlier. Contra Costa is now in the red tier, so you might be able to start opening in the. The, the pie shop might be able to start having some indoor business. What's uh, talking to my buddy in Arizona today? He and his wife are going inside to have lunch. It's it's really the different mentalities because, like here, I think a lot of people still are like, "I'm not going inside." It happened to me last weekend. They asked me at uh, one of the rest, uh, Bill's Cafe. I went there for breakfast with one of my buddies, and they said, "Do you guys want to sit inside?" And we're like, "No, we'll we'll sit outside." I'm the, I gotta be I gotta be extra cautious because of because of Dina because of her I mean she is a vaccine but you know I still gotta be cautious of where I'm going, but it's different for everyone. I know, I know what you mean because I see people on the East Coast in Pennsylvania going in the bars and having ragers at how I'm like what 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 are you guys doing? It's a, Texas is opening up. Hey everybody, you can be at the first game. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, then the next game. Hey, uh, so we're gonna have forty thousand people at the first game. Then the next game, oh, we're gonna scale back. Like, what are you doing? Either go all in or don't do it at all. Coming up next, Bert Smith, A's right hander, right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, earlier today, we caught up with the right-hander, Bert Smith, who threw an inning in today's win over the Padres. He's feeling healthy. Remember last year, it wasn't a long time for him, but he threw the ball well for the A's. Got his first career save and then had the little issue with the forearm and the elbow, but he's feeling good now. Here is my conversation with Bert Smith. We appreciate you coming on the program. How is life treating you? It's good. It's good. Uh, you know, I always love coming out to, to Phoenix for spring training. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great place to be, and it's, it's always good to be back with the guys. And you got an inning in today, a scoreless inning. How's the arm feeling? I'm feeling great. You know, finished finished the season last year on the DL. 
with the uh, elbow flexor strain, but um, that's feeling good now. Um, good to go. I feel like I'm 100%. Um, yeah, I'm just ready to get this season going. Yeah, that just that was just that that just sucked. Let's be honest. You got your first career save, and you're dealing. Bob Melvin's trusting you. Scott Emerson loves you, and the next thing you get hurt, and your season's over. And it was such a shortened season that had to that just had to be really rough for you. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not ideal. Uh, you know, you're not looking to go out there and get hurt. But um, yeah, but you know, kind of like what you said. You know, it was, it was a good year for me. I was able to. Uh, to piece some stuff together and make some adjustments. And uh, I, I, I had some success. So I'm really just looking to uh, get right back on track and uh, pick up where I left off. Yeah. What were the major changes that you made? Man, it's funny. You know, uh, I really was just kind of doing less. You know, I was, uh, I mean, not, not less work, but um, I was just, I was simplifying. I think that was the name of the game. You know, just staying on the attack, getting ahead of hitters, and uh, just really just, not 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 even giving them a chance uh you know to even know what's what's going on you know just really just stay on stay out stay ahead of them so uh yeah just just simplify was the name of the game for me last year you know that's fascinating that you say it because i think you're the third or fourth a who has come on this program and talked about what you just said simplifying less video less certain things it just Go, whether it's a hitter, go, you know, go out, see ball, hit ball, or as a pitcher, just go out and attack. I mean, I, th- th- this might be a new trend in baseball. Maybe, maybe everybody's just been overthinking a little bit too much. You know, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, whenever I, whenever I first got drafted, you know, I, I'd had a bunch of coaches uh, just telling us to basically do that, simplify, keeping it simple. Uh, but, you know, as a, as a new guy getting into pro baseball, you want to do everything you can, do all the video, all the research, just do everything. But uh, I think there definitely is something to that, more of like a an old school or, or more veteran approach is just, you know, simplifying. So uh, I'm finally kind of seeing what they what they were talking about. So there's got to be something to that. Yeah, Seth Brown told us he doesn't, he, he doesn't even want to watch himself on video anymore. He doesn't even want to see his swing. <laughs> he, wow. he, just, he just wants to trust it. I'm like, you know what? Maybe going back to the old school ways is, you know, maybe the best way to go about preparing and getting yourself ready for games. I like that. Yeah, that was great. You know, I I, I definitely cut down on the amount of video I was looking at. You know, uh, I used to have just long write-ups on every hitter and what I wanted to do. And I've kind of really simplified all that and just, uh, like I said, just, just stay aggressive and stay on the attacks. You know, when you start looking at the A's bullpen, you know, before the start of spring training, at some point we're like, okay, there might be a few holes there. But then all of a sudden David Force goes out, you know, signs Trevor Rosenthal and brings back his Meryl Petit and and Sergio Romo. Just talk about how deep your bullpen is right now. Man, yeah, it it, it all kind of happened really quick. Um, But, yeah, we're we're excited. We have have a lot of – veterans you know we got a lot of experience we got guys with world series multiple world series rings uh guys that have been deep in the playoffs and uh yeah you know i think we're we're feeling really good and on top of that you know we got we got some young arms too so i think we got a really nice mix and uh a, a great group for sure how do you think the shortened season will affect pitchers this year hmm um you know, I, I don't, I, I don't think for bullpen, at least for me, I don't think that it would affect too much. 
But uh, if anything, it might be a little tough on the starters because a lot of times, you know, starters are, uh, you know, they, they, they build up their workload year to year, you know. So if a guy, like, for example, uh, Lazardo, you know, he, he might have been on, you know, scheduled for 150 innings last year so he could have, so he could get 200 this year. Uh, that might be a little harder to reach. So, uh, you know, that's something I haven't really thought about. Maybe, but, you know, as I'm thinking about it right now, maybe maybe a little tougher on the starters. But I think the bullpen guys should be uh, should be locked in and, and ready to go. I, I like to take on that question as a glass half full. I, I just think you guys have all thrown so much in your lives that maybe sure. this shortened season – and we talked to Mike Fires about it, and he says, you know, listen, I'm older, so it's probably going to help me. But just maybe, just maybe, not pitching as much as you guys normally do, th- th- that may just be good all around for everybody's arms. What do you think of that? For sure, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's definitely uh, could be the case. You know, I, I don't think, uh, yeah, it could be good for some guys. So, I, you know, I hope so. When you look at your role in the bullpen, where do you see yourself inside this bullpen? Um, you know, I think, uh, I'm really not sure. Um, I was kind of, I had a couple different roles last year. Um, I think I'm at my plan right now is to, to get built up and, uh, maybe be a, a longer guy, uh, that can come in and, and go two or three. Um, but also if, if they need, if they just need one for me, I, I'd be ready to do that too. But, uh, I think maybe for right now, uh, I think, I think that we're going to be, Maybe uh, in, a, in a longer position, which is almost like you know a, a hybrid starter, uh, which you know I've been my whole career, uh, most of my career, I've been a starter. So something I'm, I'm used to and going multiple innings, so I'm, I'm comfortable with doing that. You know, it's so interesting that the role that you're talking about, that guy, if if your starter, we got starters going less innings than ever before. And it's almost like you guys down in the bullpen. Yeah, you might have thought I'd get in the sixth or the seventh. What is that transition like now that, like, man, you could be coming in the third. You could be coming in the fourth. I mean, yeah. you've got to be ready to go earlier than ever before. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's something, you know, where it's, it's kind of new. You know, these last couple of years, it's been the case. But, um, yeah, so pretty much you just always got to be ready. Um you know, where some guys, you know, like a, like a Rosenthal or Petit, you know, maybe those guys can maybe relax a little bit up until the later innings. But, uh, yeah, definitely the longer guys need to be ready to go really at any point, you know, from, from pitch one. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's just part of it. And uh, I'm always, you know, whatever day it is, whoever it's against, wherever we are, I'm going to be ready to go uh, whenever. Yeah, and we're, we're, we're getting to a point, I don't know if we're there yet, but we could see it. Uh, Tampa's really doing it where you really don't have positions as starters. It's just like, we're going to tell you what day you're going to throw and how long you're going to throw. And, you know, they had 13 different guys get saves last year. Just just speak to that. How just think things are not, you're a starter. You're the closer. Things are starting to blend. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think we're starting to see a lot of, um, just a lot of getting your getting the best guy in for the best situation. You know, there are obviously still some of those traditional, you know, like with Liam, you know, he was the ninth inning guy, but even really hit with him too. He would, he would get in there early for us last year and, uh, and in times in the past. So, um, yeah, I just think it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of changes going in right now going on in baseball. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of it's, it's for the better, you know, it's just, uh, 
all these uh, analytics and numbers are, you know, they're, they're telling us, you know, Hey, this, this guy is really good against this type of hitter or this, this pitch is really good for him. And, you know, you see a lot, I think, I think you're seeing a lot more uh, specialties these days, you know, like a slider specialist or a guy to come in and just throw a bunch of change ups. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting and it's, uh, it's going to be fun to see where it goes here. What was it like for you to get up on that mound and see fans in the stands? Man, it's awesome. You know, it's, I think it's something that, uh, at least I did for sure. And probably a lot of other players take for granted, um, just having them there. So last year, you know, it was, it was, it, I mean, it really was tough. It was, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a big change pitching in front of nobody or some, some cutouts. Uh, man, it, it just, it, it really does make you, uh, make you realize, man, it, it, it is really all about the fans and, and having that energy in there and, and coming in there every day and wanting to, uh, you know, just give them something to cheer for, really. Um, so, yeah, it was it was definitely great to be able to, to see some fans and even, uh, you know, get some cheers and even some uh, even some trash talk. You know, that was that was uh, appreciated. You know, that was something we haven't heard in a while. And, you know, I was in uh, – we were in Mesa at the Cup place, and I was warming up, and somebody was just talking trash to me. I said, hey, you know what? It's, it's, so, good. it's so good to have you back. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> you know, so, so, uh, no, it's, it's been great. If you think about it, last year was basically like going back to your your days at Oklahoma when you would just have an inter squad game against your own teammates. There's no fans. That's what it kind of reminded me of. Exactly that, or you know, like a backfield, you know, minor league backfield game. Honestly, so, but no, it's uh, it's 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 awesome. I'm I'm really glad that we're able to have fans uh, here and, and and during the season too. So I'm definitely excited about that. Now, I know, so, you know, we got three Division One football teams here in the Bay Area. We got Stanford, we got Cal, and my alma mater, San Jose State. But I've actually been to two games at Oklahoma. And okay. I, I, try, I try to explain to people, a place like Oklahoma, college football is so big, and you talk about Norman and Oklahoma City is just right up the road. Just talk about how big college football is at your, your, your alma mater. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's really fun. You know, that was definitely part of the, uh, you know, part of the reason I, I wanted to attend the University of Oklahoma. You know, obviously baseball and and, and being a good school as well. But um, yeah, just just that uh, experience of just the energy that that is at those games and the passion. I mean, if you if you think about it, in a place like Oklahoma or uh, some of these other states, um, Nebraska, you know, they don't have a professional team, you know, NBA, baseball, or NFL. So the college is, is uh, the biggest stage they have. So it's, it's a really unique and uh, uh, special experience, I think, to go to a game like that. It's just it's super fun. And like I said, the energy is just unmatched anywhere else. And you look at the facilities. I mean, when I walked up and looked at the Barry Switzer workout facility, I was like, wow. Oh, yeah. This is impressive. It's incredible. Yeah, it's actually been a couple of years since I've been back. I think they've done some renovations. But, uh, yeah, they, uh, they, they, they never cease to amaze me in, the, in the, all the, uh, the buildings and stuff that they, that they put up there. It's, uh, it's top notch. Well, hey, we appreciate the time, continued success and health, and we'll see you back in Oakland. Sounds good. Thank you very much. I was just taking my last bite of dinner right there. <laughs> I didn't realize we were ending that fast. Uh, yeah, I didn't. Um, well, here, you can. I, I can read this real quick uh, while you finish. 
We don't want you to miss out on the best deal of the season to see your green and gold. Ace Flex Ticks vouchers are available now for the 2021 season. Flex Ticks can be redeemed for any available game this season when you are ready to come back to the Oakland Coliseum. Get your ticket vouchers at athletics.com slash flex ticks. That's athletics.com slash flex ticks. Now, tick, single game tickets will be going on sale on Tuesday, March 23rd. So, remember, opening day, April 1st, against the Houston Astros. Some call them the Houston Asterix. Uh, you can call them whatever you want to call them. That's opening game. That's opening opening day. And then the Dodgers come to town right after that. So, uh, a lot of exciting games coming up here in, o- in Oakland starting on April 1st. You, you know what I uh, enjoy about the 6.30 taped interview? Is that you can have dinner. I guess. I mean, I, I haven't eaten yet, but we'll get there. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. I, I like it. 6.30, ready to rock. And, you know, you think about Birch. He was throwing the ball really well. I mean, I I don't know what we can take from 2020. Like, I, I, I don't know. I guess you can always, as an athlete, you can always take from the good. I, I don't know if you can take from the bad from last year. Like, last year's kind of like if you didn't throw the ball well, if you didn't hit well, you just got to, like, say, hey, it was 2020, man. It was short in baseball. It was weird. And you just got to hope the same mistakes you were making in 2020 are not the ones you're making in 2021. But I think if you were playing well, I think it, you know, because some people, I, I know I've asked a couple of people this. I asked Sandy Alderson this. I'm like, what can you really take from 2020? Well, if you're throwing the ball well, I mean, if you're hitting well, you can take a lot from it. Yeah, take, take DJ LeMahieu, for example. I mean, the guy won the batting title last year. I'm sure he's going to be okay in 2021. Now, there were some guys that probably maybe had a, a better year than expected last year. Maybe they're going to scale back a little bit because, as Brian Kenny would say on MLB Now, small sample size theater because you only played 60 games. Like, do I think Trevor Bauer is going to put up the same numbers he did last year? I don't think so, but I think he's still going to be really good. I don't think he's going to be putting up an ERA under two. Uh, I th- I Why do- not? He could. I'm not saying he can't. I mean, if if you look at reality, Dodger Stadium at night is not a it's not a hitter's ballpark. This isn't that. What we saw in the playoffs against the Astros was a joke. That's playing early. It's warm. The balls are juiced. If we're not getting juice baseballs. And you're back to playing at night at Dodger Stadium in with Marine Lair. Who's to say Trevor Bauer doesn't go out and dominate? I think he, I mean, in that ro- in that rotation is still going to be. I mean, think about it. He's going to be the third guy in that rotation, which is just crazy behind you know Kershaw and Bueller. But I don't think he's going to be like a guy that takes a huge step back, but like. I think you Darvish is going to be pretty similar to last year. I think Corbin Burns, who was the other guy that finished in the Cy Young race, I think he probably takes a step back. Like, you know what you're going to get out of Jacob DeGrom. It's the guys that you know. It's the guys that had the good years you don't know. Like, a Corbin Burns is a guy. Um, I'm trying to think what other pitchers were really dominant last year that, you know, 
like, will Shane Bieber be a guy that gets – he'll strike out a ton of guys again next year or this upcoming season. I mean, he had a historically good season in the 60 games, but there are going to be guys that might have had good years last year that don't don't carry it over, and there are guys that have bad years. Like maybe if you take Matt Olson, for example, who hit 195, but he hit 14 home runs, he's going to probably have a huge year this year. So I, I, I get what you're saying where you can't really – how much can you really take from 2020? It's I think it's a different case with every player. You ready for a little buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Well, actually, we'll start off uh, buying or selling with a guy that, uh, well, he he only pitched in two games last year in 2020, and that'd be Nationals World Series hero Steven Strasburg. Now, remember at the winter meetings we were at in 2019 in San Diego, Strasburg signed a new deal for seven years and $245 million for the Nationals. He missed all but two starts in 2020 with carpal tunnel surgery. Strasburg will be 33 years old in July, which is just crazy to think that he's already going to be 33 years old. I feel like he just debuted a few years ago. Well, he returned on Tuesday night versus the Houston Astros and struck out four of the first six batters he faced. He said his fastball command was better than it was before the surgery. The Nationals are expected to be contenders in the NL East. Buying or selling, Steven Strasburg will stay healthy all season. Selling. This, this guy has not been an Iron Man. Obviously, a tremendous talent. Boy, did he cash in at the right time. Say that again. What? Yeah, I mean, with the World Series and being a free agent, and he was the MVP, right? Uh, yes, he was. How, how many how many players in the history of baseball win the World Series, get named World Series MVP, and be a free agent? Not many. I mean, that's like the perfect storm. And the thing with him, too, I'm looking at his numbers. How many times has Steven Strasburg in his 11-year career, I guess we can count when he pitched in five games in his rookie year, and or his, uh, 2011 when he had Tommy John surgery in last year, but in 11 years, how many times has he made more than 30 starts? I would say 30 starts in a season for him. How many years? 10? He's been in the league 10 years? 11 years. This will be his 12th, I'm, I'm guessing, if you're taking out baseball reference. All right, so one year he has Tommy John. Then in the net, that next year they babied him. Yeah, when they made the playoffs. I remember that was a huge thing. I, I, I'll, 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 I'll say two. Three. You're close. Three times in 11 years he's done. He's gone over 30 starts. He did it in 2014 where he started 34 games. He finished ninth in the Cy Young voting. 2019 year, the Nationals won the World Series. He was 18 and six with a 3.32 ERA. Finished fifth in the Cy Young voting, and then he did it in 2013, where he was eight and nine with a three ERA in 30 starts. Uh, he did finish third in the Cy Young voting in 2017 at the age of 28. He was 15 and four with a 2.52 ERA, but he only pitched in 28 games. So three times he's made over 30 starts. I don't think he does it this year, because but the Nationals are counting on him and Scherzer and Corbin. To carry that rotation, but you got three guys that are getting you know up there in age, especially Scherzer, who still pitches at a high level. But I, I just don't know if 
you can count on Strasburg to go, hey, be Garrett Cole. We want you to go out there for thirty, you know, thirty-three starts every game, or Jacob Degrom. I don't, I don't think it happens. But David Price didn't pitch in twenty twenty for the Dodgers, but we all know he will return this year for the Dodgers to add to that staff with Trevor Bauer, Walker Buehler, Clayton Kershaw, Julio Rios, um, Oral Horsheiser, uh, Don Drysdale. You know, everyone the Dodgers have had, but. Kidding aside, when the Dodgers were pursuing Bauer, he reached out to the Dodgers president of baseball operations, Andrew Friedman, that's David Price did, and delivered a message. If Bauer signs, Price will take any role. Whatever, and Price said, whatever makes the 2021 Dodgers better, I'm all for it. Atop the pecking order, Kershaw and Walker Buehler, and then you have Arias, May, and Gonsolin, who all pitched a lot last year. But prior to his most recent outing, Price had only logged four and a third innings in a stretch of 18 months, all of them in spring training. Buying or selling, David Price will be happy with the Dodgers in 2021. I'm buying. Because I think he's got to be on board. And I think he's got to come in and he's got to not be the David Price that was a jerk in Boston. Because these guys, I want you to just think about this. And think about if it was you. He opted out. And there were times on Twitter where it sounded like he was rooting against baseball. And you go out and win a championship without him. He's got to now come back. And and you know what? You've never played with him. It's not like he's got built-in equity with the ball club. You've never played with him. What would you say? How many spring training innings does he have? Four to third. And he's opted out. I mean, I don't know what the Dodgers clubhouse is like, but they could be like, like to hell with you. What are you doing here? We just want a World Series without you. We don't need you. Now, obviously, the contract and everything means, yes, he's going to be back. But there could be that mentality that if he doesn't come in and play Mr. Nice Guy – they just won a World Series without you. They could be like, hey, they could alienate you really, really fast. So for Price to just be like, hey, whatever I can do to help, because they're paying him a boatload of money, yeah, that true. is the good strategy. If he went in going, yeah, I'm, I'm David Fry, I'm David Rice, and I should be in the rotation. They could just be like, buddy, get out of here. See ya. We got like nine other guys that could take your spot in the rotation. Yeah. Cost us- Look at what we have here. The, the cost a fraction of what you cost. Um, so hey, yeah. hey, 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 buddy, we traded for you to get Mookie Betts. Yeah. <laughs> what, what? What's the what's what's the Billy Bean line in uh, Moneyball to yeah, David Justice? Yeah, I mean you're paying me seven million dollars. No, I'm not paying you seven million dollars. The Yankees are paying half your contract. That's what the New York Yankees think of you. They're paying they're they're paying three and a half million dollars for you to play against them. So. Uh, That's me- really powerful, by the way, when you can like say, hey, your old team is willing to pay for you to play somewhere else. I mean, like Nolan, I mean, like Nolan Arenado. <laughs> that one I'll, ne- I'll never understand. Um, I, hope to, I, I don't have time to find the tweet, but I think Bob Nightingale put up the numbers that uh, the Cardinals are going to get paid from the Rockies over the next couple years. And one of them is like $21 million the Cardinals are going to get from the Rockies one season. It's just ridiculous what they're – they're paying to get to just shed themselves of Nolan Arenado's contract. Somebody is in accounting, right? 
Somebody has to be in accounting going, I cannot believe this is happening. Right? You would think there has you would have somebody who's going, We're paying we're paying millions of dollars for him to play for the Cardinals. Yeah, it's so happened. It's, it's happened in years past. I mean, this is not the first time this has ever happened. Remember when? Remember when LA had that huge trade with Boston, Adrian Gonzalez, and God, who was all Carl in that? Crawford? Carl Crawford. Boston was still paying a ton of those salaries. Yeah, uh, I found the tweet. Here's what it is: In 2021, 14.4 million dollars is getting paid from the Rockies to the to the Cardinals. 2022, five point Five million. 2023, 21 million. <laughs> 2024, 5 million. 2025, 5 million. So that's what makes up the $51 million that the Cardinals are paying to the, uh, they're getting paid from the Rockies to, to have Nolan Arnauto play for them. There's people starving around the world. And the Rockies are spending millions on a player to not play for them. And it's not even like he was a clubhouse cancer or something. He was just. I mean, we don't know the ins and outs of what's going on in Colorado, but they're paying all this money to have one of the best players in the league not play for them. It's not like he was – I mean, they weren't going anywhere winning-wise, but it just – it blows my mind. Uh, here's one that I, I want to see how you feel about this. On Wednesday, with no spring training games on the calendar, the New York Metropolitans set up a drill called the 27-outs game, which requires a team to record 27 outs without making an error. With coaches Luis Rivera and Tony Tarasco taking turns hitting fungos around the field, the Mets defense recorded out by out. With one out left in the game, Tarasco set up a situation where the Mets were in Game 7 of the World Series needing one out to win. After a catch by outfielder Michael Conforto, the team decided to celebrate as if it just clinched the title. Here's what Dom Smith said after. I believe in putting in great, I believe putting great things and positive things into the universe, and I feel like that when it's more likely to happen. I know that it's great that our coach, Tony, he set up that situation and we kind of went through that. It gave me chills, especially looking back at the video. It was pretty cool. Buying or selling the Mets premature World Series celebration in spring training. I'm buying it. If you don't believe it, you won't make it happen. You got to believe it. You got to see it. You gotta taste it and smell it. If you don't think you can win the World Series, you're not gonna win the World Series. Sorry, I was waiting for that part in the song. <laughs> it's like the virtual reality field. It's training your brain. They're putting on these goggles and it's training their brain to hit that pitcher. You're training your brain to get ready to hit that pitcher. Well, hey, let's celebrate. We just won the world. This is what it feels like. That's why great teams take the A's of the 70s. They expected to win. The Yankees of the late 90s, they expected to win. They knew it and they could feel it and they made it happen. You got to believe, man. I, I agree with you. I, don't, I have no problem with it. I know a lot of people on social media weren't happy with it, but I, we got time for one more. And I, you were the first person I thought of when I saw this. Um, I'll just give you a little bit of um, a little bit of a backstory on it. Patrick Ewing, minutes after Georgetown won a thrilling victory over rival Villanova in the Big East tournament, said he was a little annoyed by the uh, security there. And here's what Patrick Ewing had to say uh, after the big win for the Hoyas over 
Villanova. Um, but I do want to say one thing, though. They, I, I thought this was my building, and I feel terrible that I'm getting stopped, accosted, asking for passes. I, everybody in this building should know who the hell I am. And I'm getting stopped. I can't move around this building. Like I, I, I was like, what the hell? Is this Madison Square Garden? I'm going to have to call Mr. Dolan and say, geez, is my number in the rafters or what? So that's Patrick Ewing after the game. It made me think of that time when we went down to the clubhouse and they didn't know who Ray Fossey was. So so buying or selling, everyone should know who Patrick Ewing is at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. <laughs> I've had – how many times I've been stopped at the Oakland Coliseum? Um, I, I feel like this is a trick question. A lot. I, okay, I was, I was going to say, I'd wait for you to be like, Never. Like, a lot. And you're talking about a guy that worked basically every A's Raider game and a lot of the Warrior games because there's a crossover for the people that work in the arena and our and our, ball, our uh, ballpark. It, it really is hard to believe how many times I've been stopped. Like, you know who I am. What, like, what? So I can see Patrick Ewing rolling in there. <laughs> Hey, this is my building. I'm one of the great Knicks of all time. I, I just it's the frozen the frozen frozen envelope. Everything that happened with. I mean, how do you not know who Patrick Ewing is? You think Jordan gets stopped at his building uh, or Bird? No, um, I don't. I mean, it just blows my mind that sometimes this stuff happens. And Patrick Ewing is just like, you know, I, you know, I'm a little annoyed. I'd be annoyed too when I'm one of the greatest players ever, and people in the building don't know who I am. You know what annoys me is essentially what you're saying as a security staff is you don't know who to secure. All you do is look for these passes, which, by the way, passes can be made fake and whatever. Like, if you don't understand who you who you need to protect and you're just doing it based off, based off passes, like if you're at a golf tournament and Tiger Woods is there and you don't know who Tiger Woods is and your security, that really means you're not security. It's fair. It's true. But, yeah, I, I, I saw that yesterday and I immediately thought of you with the whole Rafe that happened with us with Fossey. Oh, no, it wasn't Fossey. It was uh, it was Eduardo Perez, I think. Because remember, we were going down the elevator and, and uh, someone's like, uh, do you have your pass? And he's like, uh, and and you were, I remember you going like, you don't know who this is? It's Eduardo Perez. His dad's in the Hall of Fame. I think it happened once with Fossey before, too, when we were down there. Yeah, I, there's been a couple times in my career I've had to look at our own security and say, this is so-and-so, they're good. Now, they could fire back at me and say, hey, the our policy is if you walk into this building, you need to have the pass around your neck. All right, but if Al Michaels wants to go out of the booth and go to the bathroom of the Raider game and he doesn't have his pass and you stop him, and you don't know that's Al Michaels? Should you even be in the press box? Yeah, that's a that's a you problem if you don't know who Al Michaels is. Yeah. You, you, like, this is Al Michaels, for God's sakes. What are you doing? That's what – That's what. and I know I want everybody to have jobs and everything, but they should rethink in sports where you put people around media – Around the players, the coaches, the they should really rethink that. 
You can't be stopping Al Michaels for God's sakes from going to the bathroom because he doesn't he doesn't have his pass. <laughs> Seriously, it's like you don't even know who you're protecting. You don't even know who to protect. Patrick Ewing's seven feet. It's not like he's just some little guy. That's Patrick Ewing. Uh, he, he, you can probably argue he might be the greatest Nick of all time. No, 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 no shots to um, uh, Walt, Frazier. Walt Frazier. And uh, who was the guy that had the, the moment where he came back from being injured? Uh, uh, Willis Reed. Willis Reed, that's it. I can't remember what his first name was. But, yeah, it, it, no, no offense to Walt Frazier. It's, it's probably Patrick Ewing, but. I don't know, we'll see. Maybe the Knicks will be relevant again soon in basketball, and we'll we'll we'll, remember, we'll laugh back at this at some point. Hey, that's why with cameramen, they they put up the pictures of all the players on your camera, so you know when the director tells you, you know who to look for. Maybe security needs to look. Hey, he's here are the Georgetown players, and oh by the way, their head coach Patrick Ewing. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Well, that's all I got for today. I'll save the rest for for Monday. All righty. Can't wait. What are we doing now? Are we replaying the win? No, we're replaying the show. So we'll replay the show. We'll be back on Monday. Be safe. Be well, everybody, and have a great weekend. And always listen to A's Cast powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.